Hey, this is Joseph Arthur from Come to Where I'm From podcast, and me and Ehud really want to thank our Patreon supporters. We couldn't be doing this without you, so really appreciate it. Alan, Allison, Andrew, Andrew, Asher, Barry, Bill, Brockton, Charlie, Cheryl, Christelle, Cynthia, Damien, Dan, Daniela, Dawn, Ethelyn, Jana, Janice, Joseph, Kimberly, Christy, Mary Ellen, Michelle, Matt, Neil, Paul, Pete, Rachel, Ron, Ruth Ann, Sandy, Shannon, Shauna, Sylvia, Susie, Theo, Tricia, Wizzy. Thank you. Wizzy Stradlin. Almost Izzy Stradlin. (laughs) Thank you to all of you so much. Thank you so much, man. We really, really appreciate it. Anyone else who wants to support us, please go to patreon.com slash countdown. Yeah, support us, please, because we love doing this. We love bringing these interviews to you. And as of now, we're private. But but I'm sure Spotify's coming. I'm sure Spotify's (laughs) coming with $100 million for us any day now. But, you know, right now, we really appreciate you. God bless. Enjoy the episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Did you see the documentary? Just before we get started, did you see America? Did you see America Freedom to Fascism? Aaron Russo's movie? Uh-uh. Okay, you need to watch that. Okay. Because, by the way, conveniently, six months after that movie came out, first of all, I saw it in the theater. Yeah. This was in 97. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. It was pulled within one week, and he was dead of... And, they, and he was he dead of pancreatic cancer uh-huh. within a matter of six months. He went from being totally healthy to dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, in this movie, he traced back the money to Jekyll Island, to the Federal Reserve, to how they set it up, to how they, they conducted false flags, uh, the Federal Reserve Act, everything. Yeah. And it's a complete scam. Isn't it always what, follow the, the money? What's the movie called again? What's the movie It's called for? America, Freedom to Fascism by oh. Aaron Russo. Who was the producer of Trading Places and yeah. a bunch of great movies that oh, wow. uh, that I love? Yeah, I love that. So one. if you look at if you if you trace back the money of this whole thing, that's mm-hmm. where you start to uncover the dead fish everywhere. Yeah, because it stinks like all sh- it stinks like shit. It's crazy, it's, but it, nobody wants to do that. And executive one 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 zero. Let me just tell you what that was. Yeah. That was John F. Kennedy taking the power away from the federal. He said, why are private banks controlling the money and printing our money? The Federal Reserve is private banks. It's not run by the government. Uh-huh. His father said, so if you look at the notes from ni- in 1962, all that time, it says U.S. Treasury note, not Federal Reserve note. His father said, they're going to kill you for this. Within five months, he was assassinated. Damn. And who was it that came in in his place? Johnson? Uh yeah, don't look no, at me. No. I was came, in here. Yeah, it was. <laughs> no. it was it was it was it was, uh, it was Johnson. Yeah. came in and gave the power yeah. back to the Federal Reserve. Yeah, it was Menachem Begin. And board. wasn't the head of the CIA Bush? Bush Senior was the that head. was that was later on. That was I during was during Kennedy. No, no, no. But the head of the CIA during I don't know who that was during yeah. during Kennedy. But uh, Bush Senior was the head of the CIA. When Reagan was, uh, yeah. well, he was the vice president, but he was vice. in the seventies, he 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 headed up the F- the CIA. That's wild. And if you track track back the money and the cocaine being brought into yeah. America, the whole, it's just, uh, you know, it's nutty. And, and and to people that say, why would America 
ever poison its own people. Right. I say two things. Google Operation Sea Spray, yeah. where they sat off the coast of San Francisco and released, aerosol released a virus into San Francisco and killed people. Yeah. And When was this? That was in the, that was in the 50s. 50s. And they did it in the New York City subway, too, 72 times. So people say, and the Tuskegee Airmen, so the, they gave them syphilis. They've been experimenting on us forever and doing this shit. And now... Is it depopulation? Is that the motive? What, what do you think it, the motive is? I mean, is? L l let's look at it this way. You know how many babies were killed last year? Uh, I, I say women can do whatever they want, but here's right. the thing. You know who controls Planned Parenthood? Yeah. You know who started it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Gates', Gates, father. Gates father. So Gates is now Ma getting the, the, the fetal Singer tissue. Or whatever her name is. Yeah, yeah and she was a renowned Gates, racist, yeah, I guess. It, racist, killing yeah. black and convincing when you black and Spanish girls to murder their babies Woo. in the womb. And then <laughs> using the fetal <laughs> tissue for Bill Gates's vaccines, yeah. and they get them to they want the they want the fetus to live a certain period of time, mm -hmm. so that those stem cells and everything else that they put into the vaccines can ripen. So it's even Obama, which people gave a pass to. His White House science czar was John Holdren. He wrote a book, e Eco Science. He's mm -hmm. they're all, these are eugenics people that want to reduce Earth's population. Yeah. yeah. So what do you, oh God, we can't, like even saying now, something like, what do you think about 5G, this video is banned. I'm not banned. getting into that. You're not getting Look, into they that? Look, they just put the kibosh on it yeah. right now to do safety tests and all that oh, they before did. they activate that shit. But that's all part of the ID2020 agenda, right. Bill Gates' company, ID2020. Yeah. Uh, Bill Gates, you know, they took down my other post that the, the uh, Moderna, um, who's coming out with the, va the first vaccine, the guy got $20 million from Gates. Then he resigns and then goes into the White House the next day as the um, senior advisor to Operation Warp Speed, which is to push this vaccine in the next six months. It's a complete conflict of interest. How could you be a shill for the drug companies mm -hmm. and then... This is what... They, there's a revolving door policy between drug companies, GMO companies... Uh, and the white and the White House posts. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they pass policy. They go qualified. back to the company. They've invested in the stocks. Mm -hmm. That's what I say. How much stock does Fauci have right. in, in, in in these drug companies? Yeah. Follow the money. That's all you got to do. Right. And Bill Gates is the biggest contributor to the H or WHO, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nine percent. Yeah. I and think. if you look at that shill that they put in charge of it, first of all. The guy's corrupt as hell. He's mm -hmm. he's got all kinds of things going on uh, with him. And then yeah. he went to China to Wuhan, where this virus supposedly leaked out of the lab, or however it got into general population. But they had the international uh, military games going on, right? And it was Chinese New Year, so I think it was something like I forget how many millions from that city went around the world. Uh, for Chinese New Year and then the World Military Games. And from that point on, the virus spread all over the planet. So whether it slipped out, leaked out, whatever, Fauci was involved in the lab over there. Fauci also involved in AZT, you know, which, Dude, which destroyed a lot it, of I lives. just watched yeah. Dallas Buyers Club yeah. fucking yeah. Let two weeks yeah. ago, and Mc I'm like, holy shit. 
They're Fauci. talking about fucking Fauci with right. the AZT. AZT. Killing people. It's fucking crazy. Destroying immune systems. And it's like nobody brings that shit up. And the it's doctor like, that did like, the book on I've been it. telling him about it the whole time. I'm like, dude, AZT, female bro, doctor, this has been going on yo, for a while. You know the female <laughs> doctor that put the book out on him and exposed him? They slandered uh, her so bad in the media that she's a fucking crook. She's. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, they call any doctor that stand, that that stands out against it like a whack job. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. well, they put her in jail, but why they do you think so many people can see this or at least are have a very healthy suspicion whether they go full on the whole kit and caboodle? I'm going to tell you. Versus the people that are just like, nope, it's exactly what CNN is telling me, and that's exactly gonna what's tell going you, on. This I'm is gonna, all about a virus, and it has nothing to do with nothing else. Here we are. What, what's the difference? Here like, we are in the <laughs> shadows of the so-called Freedom Tower, right? Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you something, mm -hmm. okay? And this is it. First of all, when them towers fell, I got friends in the fire department and police department. Mm. They were in those buildings, and they got out. Mm. They said explosives went off in them buildings wow. 100%. Yeah. So let me just say this. I'm going to tell you a famous story. My spiritual teacher, Prabhupada, mm. right? Because the other huge hoax they conducted on the American people was that we went to the moon. That's a crock of shit. Bro, that, you're, we never you're, went bro, to the you're motherfucking speaking to the, moon. You're speaking to the converted. Get the fuck out of here. Just look at the fucking ship Dude. they say went to the moon. And my it's question is. It's a joke. And you know what? You know this what? is his dream podcast. Listen, oh, this do, one, you, do you know when I dream. say to people, how come you complete we never, me? You, when, how come? Listen. Listen, I'm going to finish oh, this story. And we're like then we're gonna 10 get, minutes in and he's covered it all. Listen. Okay. When you say to people, how come we never went back? You know oh, what they tell me? I know, dude. Yo, been there, done that. We yeah, moved yeah, yeah. on. Oh, we don't really need to. I know. It's yeah, what are we, we going to do? Don't fuck out of here, your mama Luke. <laughs> <laughs> and let me just say this. I mean, look uh, at the footage. Dude, of, uh, come it's on, crazy. Man. Isn't you, the footage multicam or dude, something? Dude, the footage is insane. <laughs> and, if you look then, at it, there's no way the you other thing. Here's you the can other no thing. way believe that Different it's angle. real. Here's the other like, thing. It looks the like a bad Star Trek episode. Here's the other thing. They <laughs> controlled the rover from planet Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck. So listen, funny, so dude. so Prabhupada, <laughs> he said this when 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 they asked him about the moon landing. Oh my! Let God. me tell you what they do, <laughs> and here's the perfect analogy. Uh, Prabhupada said there was a farmer, and there was this a, is your spiritual yeah my teacher. Teacher, he said there was a farmer, mm -hmm. and he heard someone out in the field in the middle of the night, and he opened up the window. And the farmer yells, who's there? And the, and the thief yelled back, I'm not stealing anything. See, so it's suggestive placement of thought. And on that note, I'm going to tell you this right now. When 9-11 happened, the next day, uh -huh. what did Bush come on TV and say? Do you remember? Osama bin Laden. And... Right away. Don't believe these wild conspiracy theories. Oh, you said it right away. That are out there. Wow. Okay. Now let me tell you something else. And they were already, they were already out there. I guess. I mean. Let me tell you something else. They had all or the passports. Because passports don't burn in jet fuel. Yeah. 
And I'm going to tell you one other thing. I mean, Building Seven. If you just look at that, dude. It's like how, and the pen and a plane went into the Pentagon. It's the like, first documentary on, that came out like, was a French like, film, and it was called "Find the Boeing." Mm. See, I love Jesse Ventura. He went in there and called them the fuck out. He said it's very convenient. Two point three trillion dollars was missing, and that's where your your plane went into the Pentagon the next day. How does a plane go into right a, the Pentagon? Where the all the financial records were kept. Now I'm just gonna say this one last thing, and let's get started. <laughs> and that's this: when this first pandemic first hit, yeah. Do you know what the Secretary of State said on the news? No. Kind of reminiscent of what George Bush Jr. Uh, said. Right away. Don't believe it. You have to be very careful where you get your information from right now. Yeah. There's a lot of false information and conspiracies out there about where this pandemic came from and the United States was involved and how we're trying to push vaccines on people. So there you go. You yeah. know what? That's 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 called suggestive placement of thought once again. Yeah. End of story. Yeah, cheers. Well, yeah, cheers, man. Great to meet you. Come to where I'm from, episode 88. <laughs> the great John, John Joseph. Joseph. Thanks for coming. I don't in. know about great, but yeah, dude, you are great. I'm I've here. been I've been listening to your audio book. Oh, you listen to it. I love it, dude. Dope. I, I, I fucking love it. And your life stories. I just finished the adaptation for a film. That's what I was thinking while I was Bro, listening to it. I was like, I just this finished is a film. it. I, I'm sending it off to Patty Jenkins, who did Monster to Read. Yeah. Did Montiel. Patty Jenkins won, uh, was the film won an Academy Award for Charlize Theron, uh, yeah. playing Eileen Warnos. And, uh, but I got interest in the film because. Uh, it's a great story. I mean, it, you know, but my writing teacher, uh, Robert McKee, says. A screenplay needs to be a great story well told. Yeah. And film is a different medium. It's it's show don't tell. Yeah. So you have to you know, you, you writing on the nose is, is a criminal act in good writing. So you how do you tell how do you tell this story? And how'd you do it? Took me ten years. Yeah. Since the book came out, I've been working on it. It's like you learned how to write a memoir, then you learned how to write a screenplay. Well, actually, I was writing screenplays ahead of time, and the whole story was, and I talk about it in the beginning of the book, was that I was in McKee's class. I had been using uh, the events that happened to me as a child in the foster home for the main protagonist, mm -hmm. and uh, I asked Robert McKee a question: If you saw adaptation. Which Brian Cox, you know, Nicolas Cage and right. Brian Cox portrayed him perfectly. It was written by um, Charlie Kaufman, mm -hmm. brilliant, brilliant writer. And, you know, he asked McKee during the breaks, you would get to ask McKee questions because he would go outside and have cigarettes. So I waited to the last person and I said, Mr. McKee, you know, as far as a protagonist who was abused as a child, and he goes, stop right there. Mm -hmm. He goes, Child abuse is the number one cliche of bad writers trying to gain some sympathy from an audience for flat characters we could otherwise give a shit about. It's not what happens to a character, it's what they do as a result. Mm -hmm. Bingo, the light came on, and that's what I had to tackle in the screenplay, which was what happened to me by not facing and confronting the demons of my past. How did that 
spin me into addiction and crazy situations you would never believe that I would be able to fucking walk away from. Mm-hmm. Like my first time smoking Freebase, two, two drug dealers, this guy who, had the, who owned the house, uh, his brother, we split uh, New York and they took two kilos off drug dealers and they, did a, they, they came and did a walk around with AR-15s, emptied two clips into the house, into the room where I was sleeping in the guys. The guy split. And I was sleeping in his fucking room. And they just came and offloaded two AR-15s. That's crazy. The, the cocaine cowboy uh, type people in Miami. So, like, shit's crazy, man, you know? Yeah. That's wild. You've gone through so many transformations. That's, yeah. That's the wild still. part. It's like, yeah. Still. And still. Still. Yeah. And still. And still. Fucking doing it. Hey, did you ever follow? This is a. I want to go back to this, but I, I keep thinking about Robert Kennedy Jr. Do you follow? I love, him? Of course do you, do you I do. Him? Of course Anti- I do. Of yeah. course okay. I do. That's all. I just I just posted his Mr. Wizard yeah, fucking Bill I, Gates. I, I reposted that too, dude. <laughs> like the clairvoyant thing. Anyway. Like, yeah, it's like you know. Yeah, so that's cool though. Your writing teacher, yeah, talking about how yeah, don't go into just like your stories of victimhood, but how you transform. That's where the interest is. What it is. did, what it did, what it did. Uh, see, my my thing was that every time, it was like wounds that never healed, right? So anytime yeah. something would happen, like you know, my so-called best friend Harley Flanagan, the bass player of the Cro-Mags, you know, I fucking took this dude's back. When people wanted to murder him, when he was, he was, a gay bashing in Alphabet City in the early in the early eighties, and the gays took a con. He was on the cover of a gay magazine, and it said, "Gentlemen, beware of this skinhead." So oh, they really? went to this gang that I fought wow. and wanted to pay for a contract on him, and they came to me, the gang, and had the magazine and said, "This dude's in your band, right?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, you better tell him to fucking chill out. He's bringing too much heat to the neighborhood. And this is a fucking no-joke gang, the hitmen mm-hmm. on Avenue, the hitmen on the, in the Lower East Side. Yeah. And uh, members of the hitmen who ran that drug building there on 11th Street between A and B. Mm-hmm. So, like, I did so much. I, I squashed that whole shit and did so much. And we went through so much. And for him to rip rip off all the money at the end of the 87 tour in Europe, and it just, it fucked me up. I spun, that's where I spun into the two-year addiction because I quit the band, you know. So that was just one example. Every time something ha- would happen in my life, it just opened up all those old, old wounds. Mm-hmm. And I try, you know, I practice, you know, the four agreements. Yeah, don't take anything yeah, personal. Yeah, which is don't take anything personal. I, I I did the four disagreements, <laughs> and I took everything personal. Yeah, of course. When somebody did something to me, I was out for fucking blood. Well, it's like when you get abused as a kid, then you have these enormous pain bodies like Eckhart Tolle talks about, and so you're looking for their expression. So Mine came out through violence. triggers. My, 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 mine came out through violence. And violence against myself with drugs and mm-hmm. alcohol, and uh, you know that—that's uh, you know that's that's you know that's what my film is about. How do we mm-hmm. destroy those monsters that we have that live within us? Yeah, but you shift from extreme polarities of that because then you do things that are way off the other side, which is the chanting, 
and spiritual practice. Ironmans. Ironmans, exactly. Yeah. Like you're uh, the king of PMA. Yeah, well, that's been, like, people are like, yo, you know, it's so great. I'm like, yo, you didn't, you didn't see the 40 years of fucking blood, sweat, and tears that mm-hmm. I had to go through to figure that shit out to be where I am now. That's not, that was decades of fucking mm-hmm. transition. But they're I the went opposite to J- sides yeah. of the same coin. Opposite sides, man. Po- you know, that's the material world. It's the yeah. dualities, you know? Happiness and distress. Fame and infamy. All those dualities that exist. And that's what yoga teaches you is to go beyond the dualities. There is no good. There is no bad. Yeah. It's just there is the work. And that's what you do. <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. Don't you perceive it now as like a total blessing, your life, the way it's sort of formed you? Absolutely. You know, people say to me all the time, you know, wow, man, what would you change? Go back and change. I said, not a motherfucking thing. <laughs> right. From like witnessing my father try. <clears throat> I, I, I witnessed my father try to murder my mother. Mm-hmm. My mother was raped by my father. Which is how you were conceived. And my brother too. Right. I witnessed that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and then and then the abuse in the foster home, sexual abuse from these fucking animals that were in there, like all of that shit hitting mm. the streets, all the shit that happened to me. Yeah. Like when I was, and I said this, I just talked to this dude from Alphabet City yesterday, mm. and we was talking, and he's fifty nine, I'm fifty eight. He's like, yeah, man, you know, because he liked my pit bull. And then we started talking. He grew up on Elridge first and first. That was the dope spot. Mm-hmm. That's where when I got off the second train, the second Avenue train, we copped first and first, and then we went to Alphabet City. Mm-hmm. And we, we was reminiscing, uh, you know, of the whole shit that went down over there. And, and it was just like, wow, like, you know. The, the the craziness of that whole situation was nuts. The neighborhood at that time. Yeah, the neighborhood, Alphabet City. Like I said, if you go to A, you were adventurous. B, you were bold. C, you were crazy. D, you were dead. E, you're in the East River. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know. Yeah, there's a part of your book, too, where you talk about the, the reason we got born into this plane of existence where all this crazy shit happens. Because you want to ask God, like, what the fuck? But you said something about you were told it's because we were envious of God that we got born here out of envy. Well, or something like that, right? We wanted, we were at one point, according to the philosophy of the Vedas, we were all in the spiritual world. We're we're not these bodies, you know, a hum brahmasmi means I'm spirit. Right. So that's what everybody says. Well, how did we come to the material world? And Prabhupada explained it that we wanted to enjoy like Krishna. And mm-hmm. Krishna said, "You don't want to go to the, to this place, but we we right. wanted to go. We wanted to enjoy, you know. And you know, my point was that with that other point I was making was that I told them like I wouldn't trade a single minute of anything that I ever been through in my life because, you know, character is developed out of out of that. You know, like." Mm-hmm. Those things had to happen for me to go through that. That's why my book's called The Evolution of a Cro-Magnon. Yeah. You know, that that was part of the evolution. But, yeah, you know, like my spiritual practice is a big is a big part of uh, what I do. I, uh, you know, I chant every day. I read philosophy every day. 
uh, you know, I try to reach out. Bhakti yoga is the yoga of service. So I reach out, try to help other people going through stuff, uh, feed the homeless, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is, uh, that I can do, uh, to pay forward. Like my teachers, you know, I said, how do I repay you? And it was like, you can't just pay it forward. There's, you know, even even HR, who I, I saw last year, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, at a festival, we played together Cro-Mags and, and HR's uh, solo band. And, you know, somebody said, yeah, man, you fucking doing all these Ironmans and helping so many people. And HR was sitting in the car with his wife, right? And I pointed to HR. I was about 15 feet away. I go, you see that man right there? That's the candle that lit 10,000 other candles, Mm -hmm. which then lit 10,000 more because he helped so many people. We helped other people. That's how, that's how it works. You keep, you keep everybody. It's a grassroots movement. You Mm -hmm. know, you just keep helping the next person in line and eventually the whole planet at some point catches on and and it's like, let's pull our head out of our ass collectively. Mm But there's got to be like some kind of divine spark of love within you, I think, like this connection that not everybody has. Because some people just, they they would take like situations that you were in and that would burn them to the ground forever. Like they, w- they would never have that inspiration to be like, you know what, I'm going to elevate myself out of this. I'm g- I want to be of service. I want to be a light in this world. I don't think everybody wants to be a light necessarily, or maybe everybody does, and they just don't know how. What do you think of that? Where do you think you got that uh, that that spark? I, uh, you know, HR. But where did where did well, how did you know that ignite it, you in you? You know what it was. I'm going to tell you something. Okay. When I sat in Spofford and I was locked up in my cell, and I'm going to tell you something about Spofford. That was a place a motherfucking white boy didn't want to go in 1978. Uh, People got murdered in there. It was 21 and under. I was the only white boy in the whole facility. Mm-hmm. Roots was on TV. That's wild. Okay? Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Yeah. Slaves getting beaten. Here's white boy. And oh, the five yeah. percenters, wow. the radical wing of the Nation of Islam, took over the entire correctional uh, jails in New York. So white man was the devil, Yaku, and had a target on their back. So... When you're out in general population during the day, everybody has their game face on, their tough guy act. But when I got put in that cell at night by myself and they slammed that fucking door shut, I cried my motherfucking eyes out and, and asked God, why the fuck are you doing this to me? Because I was looking at a, pri- a long prison sentence How long? for selling. I was here in four to six, whatever. I ended up doing two years for trafficking... Uh, Weed first, selling to undercover, then uh, breaking into a, a, the roof of a supermarket. And then the last charge was angel dust possession in, with, with, uh, with intent to sell. So that's a felony. That's a, that's a, a B-class felony drug. Mm-hmm. But the point I'm making is that uh, I did a lot of praying and self uh, discovery being locked up it was the best thing that really happened to me and then things went south in the military because I signed I, I, I got out of lockup after two years and I caught another drug case in Rockaway so they were saying alright this time you're going up north 
or you're going to join the military. So I took the military. They gave you the option? Yeah. That's well, the thing was, my mother was dating a Navy recruiter at the time. Uh-huh. So he was Pulled able to strength. squash my juvenile record. And there was mitigating circumstances on the charge. They didn't catch me with no drugs. I stashed the drugs. I threw them when the cops chased me. So I didn't sell to an undercover. Was they it witnessed angel me. Dust again? No, it was dope, heroin. Uh. They witnessed me make a sale. But they didn't catch me. So I got locked up. But the thing was, I just got out. So it didn't look good. And what happened was they said, all right, we're going to give you a break. You're either going to go into the military and make something out of yourself or we're going to send you to lockup. Like I always say, the state didn't raise no fool. I took the lockup. I took the, the uh, <laughs> Navy. I took the Navy. Yeah. And I went down to Norfolk, Virginia, where I, I, you know, I started trafficking drugs on my ship. And like weed selling or real drugs? weed pills, coke, acid. So real drugs, real too. motherfucking hardcore <laughs> shit. I had a business going, and Did you just um, migrated or you made new connections. No, I was smuggling on the ship. I brought weed back from Jamaica when we went to Florida. Then, like, I made connections in Norfolk. But I, you know, I what happened? I met the Bad Brains at the Taj Mahal in 1980. What's the Taj Mahal, like a club? That was a punk rock club. Where was it? In Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, okay. So yeah, you only had two clubs in Norfolk that had punk bands playing. Yeah. One was the Taj Mahal and the other was the King's Head Inn. How big is the Taj Mahal? Small. Like 100 Small. people? Small, it was an upstairs club. Uh-huh. No, it held about 250, 300 packed. Okay. okay. So the first bands that came down there was the Teen Idols and the Untouchables which was Ian MacKay, Henry Rollins, whole crew. Now, I'm a New York City punk rocker, was going to Max's and everything in 77. I had the spiked hair, the leather jacket with the buzzcocks and Sex Pistols pins and spikes and that whole shit. These motherfuckers come down there, shaved head, engineer steel cap boots with barbed wire. And you could ask our friend Jesse Mallon about them. And chains... And fucking cut off shirts and like all like jacked, like Henry especially. And they were like slam dancing. They just brought it back from the West Coast and diving off the stage. I was so blown away. The next show, shaved the head, bought all that shit and looked exactly the same. And then the Bad Brains came down and played the Taj Mahal. Uh And that was really a defining moment. Uh in my life because I, I, I talked with HR after and heard about PMA. They had that song, Attitude. And what happened to me was, actually, when I, you know, when I met them, I sold their manager, LSD. Uh-huh. Like, that's when I met the bad Real LSD or that what fake shit you sold real, at the real? Yes concert? Nah, <laughs> that was my street hustle. <laughs> but it was a good one. Robitussin. That's my next movie. Robitussin LSD. <laughs> that's my next flick. <laughs> That first year I spent on the streets in 77. But no, I sold them real acid, man. And and, um, what happened was I I sold, somebody set me up in Norfolk to somebody to buy pills. And he was an undercover cop. And I caught a case. So as I'm waiting for a civilian case to hit, the ship sent me to captain's mass. I was restricted to the ship. They took all my pay. So I'm working for free. Uh, I had to muster with the master at arms, the ship's police, every hour on the on the uh, on the uh, fantail, 
and just fucking with me nonstop. I was facing going to fucking Leavenworth if the, if I got, you know, if I got caught. And I probably would have done civilian time and then Leavenworth. Not the judge, but that period of your time, you were looking, you were asking for trouble time and time. Man, like not I learning. did Just shit like in Norfolk. Undercover after undercover. Listen, <laughs> you know. Right, you were manifesting some wild shit. In 90, <laughs> He's in, got a point. In 95, <laughs> there's three undercovers he sold to yeah. already. <laughs> Yo, these motherfuckers had long hair like, and like. <laughs> that's his specialty, selling these were not like These were not like uh, New Jersey undercovers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing a they book good, How not to sell one. to an undercover right? good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, No but You wanna know something Like fool me once uh, That whole <laughs> Wait that was George Bush uh, Jr yeah, yeah, funny. I like how yeah, you came yeah, yeah fool me once Shame on you yeah. yeah you know Fool me thing. again and, uh, <laughs> What was that How's that go there Jeffrey <laughs> No but I'm gonna tell you something right now uh, So No judgment In 95 Harley ratted me out To the government and I got, I got away, but I had to turn myself in. So when they processed me out of the military and my, we hired a lawyer, it was in Spin Magazine and everything. Really? And then like the scene did a benefit for me to pay for my lawyer. I was down in Norfolk because they put me in TPU, which is first I was in the brig, then TPU, which is transient personnel unit. That's where you go when they're processing you out, which could take... They told me it could have taken a year, but they fast-tracked it. This, this fucking commander, a lawyer I had, was the fucking bomb. Uh-huh. So he got me out. Once I got out of the brig, it took him eight weeks to get me the fuck out of the military. So I was hanging out in Norfolk with, all the, with some of the punks. And that's They're HR. Like, Yo. No, HR was gone by uh, that time. This is 95. Uh, They're like, yo, telling me all this shit. That I did. Remember that time you hangs, you hung such and such off the, the, the ten story balcony by his ankles. I was like, I never did that. They're like, Yeah, you did, man. Like it was such, like, I was a garbage pail for drugs. Yeah, you're right. out of your like, mind. Like every fucking drug except heroin, because when I tried heroin in the early in the mid seventies, yeah. I got sick and I didn't like it. But everything else, yeah. I did everything. Yeah. Quaaludes, two and all, Placidil, Speed, Coke, weed, drinking, yeah. fucking, you name it. So the thing was, I did so many things, I don't even remember what the fuck I did when I was in the military. That's how fucking crazy and off center I was. Right. Like, just, I didn't give a fuck. So what happened when I caught that case, they restricted me to the ship and the ship got underway. And we were going for shellback, which is you cross the equator. We were going down to Argentina. Uh-huh. So we went Bermuda, Bahamas, Roosevelt Roads. Now I'm seeing all these. There was one dude on my ship that was a redneck that kept fucking with me, calling me a New York faggot and all this shit. And I'm like, yo, my man. All right, the Southern guy. You better chill the fuck out. Like, you know, half these dudes in the military just went in because they had nothing else in their life. I'm yeah. like, I went in because I was going to go back to jail. Uh-huh. And the thing was, he, I just kept telling him, yo, bro, like, leave it the fuck alone, man. Mm-hmm. Like, one day, he's like, yeah, anytime you want to go, faggot, I'll fuck you up. Talking, you know how the big mouths are. You know how it is, you're working on the ship and you're not getting paid and then you're having to see everybody go on Liberty and Bermuda and fucking, and then 
like all these islands. And then you, we pulled out from Puerto Rico and we were heading down. And he just said something to me one day and I just snapped. And I went into the paint locker, the boatswain's locker, and I dogged the hatches down. And he's like, you know, he knew I was like, I had that look. And I just picked up a full paint can and I started beating him, beating the shit out of him with it till he shit his fucking pants and, and passed out. So then they fucking locked me down and it was, it got serious then. And the thing, what I talk about, like. But that's after he taunted you over, yeah, and, over, and, over and over and over again. But just, the thing so was. People know, that wasn't, he didn't taunt him once. Oh, and then no, he did this that. was he, nonstop. He taunted him for a long time in the book. It's this like was nonstop <laughs> getting in my face. Yeah. Wanting me to hit him. Yeah. To get me put on report. Like, and the thing was, I had got my wisdom teeth pulled before I went underway in uh, Norfolk. And when they locked me down on the ship, I got this terrible infection. And it was so bad, they had to medevac me by helicopter. I was on a CGN. So the CGN has a, a, a helo deck on the back of the, on the fantail. They had to send a medevac from Puerto Rico to out to sea, get me and bring me back to Puerto Rico. And they forgot to write. This was before computers. They that happened put, when, when you were a kid, too. Yeah. The, the teeth thing. Yeah, well, like, I had an abscess with your, at, at the Valencia. I the won't say, at, the, yeah, them motherfucking scumbags. At their house. Yeah, I was in yeah. so much pain, and they just made me for almost, I, I think it was like a week. And then I had such a high fever, and they sent me to school, and my whole face was like this. They wouldn't take me to the dentist. And then again, this is what scumbags, did, those foster family was. They got paid, they got free dental and everything. They didn't want to be inconvenienced to take me to a dentist. Isn't that weird though, how we like repeat, like the, these things yeah. repeat in life and they echo later and the, the same, those yeah. traumas play out in the yeah. same areas. I find that fascinating. Yeah, well the thing was with me, with that, when that happened and then they sent me back to Norfolk, that's when I went AWOL. And I was AWOL from 80 to 95. I had the second longest AWOL in US Norfolk Naval Base history. Really? Yep. Wow. And that was, you know, and I didn't turn, you know, everything happens for a reason. It was a blessing in disguise. But to have somebody who claims to be from the streets, Harley Flanagan, go to the cops for no reason at all to snitch who, me who's out. Who's Harley Flanagan? He was the bass player for the Cro-Mags. Oh, right. And but he, like he why started. Did he, why did he snitch you out? Because uh, what happened was uh, Steve Apria, this guy, worked for Howard Stern on the radio show when Howard was first starting. Okay. And he was like, you guys, you know, I went up and hung out with him and met Howard and all that shit. And he's like, you guys should fucking put the band back together. I let him talk me into it. Uh-huh. So I went on this tour and I, and, you know, I was supposed to get paid all this money in 91. And that dude Harley colluded with the fucking booking agent to steal all the money. He stole $40,000 almost. Right. Like all the money from the tour and said the tour lost money. And then I was already quit my business, so I had nothing. And we had gotten a record deal because I came back to the band with Century Media. Then he emptied out the band's bank account. And why, became, why would he do that, though? Like, because like, it's like he's going to cut it off right because there. Because he doesn't give a fuck. He destroys his own. He's one of these people that just get in his own way right. and thinks he's all that and a bag of fucking peanuts, and fuck everybody else. So the thing was, like, 
he had signed me as an individual artist, so he went off and took all that money and was shooting dope all over California. Wait, Harley signed you? No, yeah, Harley had the deal with Century Media. I didn't know it. Oh. So he signed me as an individual artist, not just with the Chromeg. So I called up Century Media because I had another record deal coming for this other band. And, they, and I said, yo, I need a release from you guys uh, you know, to do this other band. And they were like, we're not releasing you. We sunk 200 grand, like finish these tracks and give us a tour as Cro-Mags and let us recoup our money and we'll release you. So there I am going out on the road. We got another bass player trying to fulfill the contractual obligations that he got me involved with that he burned to the ground by robbing the band. And he fucking's calling me up when I come off tour. If you don't stop playing as the Cro-Mags, I'm going to rat you out for everything you ever did. You're never going to see the fucking light of day. And I was like, you'd be making a huge mistake. Well, guess what? On March 17th, 1995, he played a show with Murphy's Law at Brownies, which was, that used to be a pimp joint, pimp gambling club next to 171A. Dude. He's on stage playing <laughs> the fucking drums with Murphy's Law for a song and giving me this look. And I'm like, the next day the cops came and broke my fucking door down. And I wasn't there. I was on a construction job. I had my own business. And my brother's like, 911. I beep. He's like, yo, the fucking them dudes ratted you out. Like, the cops just came and said, do you, you know. I was like, what? So I get another page, 212 something another. This was the beeper period, 95. (laughs) I called back. They're like. He's like, uh, the, uh, what did he say? Detective Negron. I remember the motherfucker's name. I said, I said, yeah, you page me? He goes, yeah, is this John J. McGowan? I was like, motherfucker. And he goes, do you know a Harley Flanagan and Paris Mitchell Mayhew? I said, yeah, I know those bitches. <laughs> he goes, but they press charges against you. You got to come in and let's discuss it. Damn. I said, yo, no offense to you. I know you ran my shit. That's why they pressed the charges to turn me in for being AWOL. I got a federal warrant. I'm going to go deal with that, and then I'll be back to face this bullshit. He's like, no, no, don't hang. Click. Went to D.C., and then that's how the whole scene went on from there. They did the benefit, got me the lawyer, whatever. My whole point is, if you claim, you know, he put this other dude, Scotty Banks, in prison. He fucking, like, ratted him out on a, fa- on a fucking false murder charge. He, te- he testified and all this shit. And signed. You don't say you're from the streets. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Mert, the, the, the whole, my friend's merch company. You don't, if you claim and you're writing songs and playing in a band about street justice and survival of the streets, and then you're running to the cops, yeah. putting people in jail. How's he living that down? Because he lies. He put out a book and just bullshitted about, he, he admitted all that shit. Uh-huh. Didn't talk about robbing the band. And just made up all stories like what happened in Webster Hall, like when he came in there claiming that we yeah, invited but you have, him. You have a loud voice. I mean, Man, you, listen, you know, so it's like here's the whole thing with social media. Right. You know what it does? What? You could tell the truth, and then if someone tells a lie, there's a certain amount percentage of people that are gonna believe that lie just because it's written. Yeah. And everything that I say, truth resonates though. Everything that I say could be backed up 
by every fucking body except him. Truth resonates. It does, man. It doesn't need. It no doesn't. Reason to it doesn't need to be backed up. You can tell when somebody's telling the truth if you're in touch with your gut. Yeah. You know. Even this. Even you know. He just sued us because he wanted to come back to the band. We said no. We gave him the name. We're like, go away. Yeah. Fucking dealing with lawyers and all That's this shit. Good. He's a. Uh, you know. God bless him, man. Let him. Let him. Let him. Uh, let him live his fucking life in his fantasy world with his science well, fiction you writing. Know, have you ever heard of Ho'oponopono? I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. That yeah. mantra of forgiveness and, yeah. and taking full responsibility for everything that enters your yeah. your field of consciousness. Yeah. I've used it to like heal trauma and situations especially. That's tailor-made for it. When yeah. somebody fucks you over to that degree, you can apply that mantra to them and understand that for some reason you manifested that situation in your You're absolutely so it, right. It, it, it fills you with total empowerment. And yeah, so you're, it, you're, and I'm it, working out my past karma too. I did. I of did course. Grimy shit. It doesn't excuse him. No, but for we, what he did. We but attract. Let me, let we attract say, what we are. Let me just to a say degree. this in film. You create a controlling idea or theme and then mm -hmm. anti-theme, the, the, the counter idea to that. Say that again. You control In the, film, you, right? When yeah. you're writing a film, yeah. you can't be didactic. You can't slant the argument. You create a controlling idea. Uh-huh. Happiness is my controlling idea in my film. Happiness fulfills our lives when we forget those when we forgive those who who did us wrong. Yeah. Well, and you, you know also, what? Yeah. You know what the counter idea is? What? Fuck people that do me wrong. Everything they get, they deserve. Uh -huh. So I the thing that. is, <laughs> that's the shadow. Too. You you, you give <laughs> just as much truth to the controlling ideas you do to the counter idea. And one of those. Oh, dude, you just gave me so much inspiration. One of those wins out <laughs> at the end of the film. That's the writer's choice. I love but let this. Me just say, this is so inspiring. This is Robert McKee. If you Dude. guys don't have his book, get story. Okay, it's I, a fucking philosophy I, lesson I of do life. Have it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it again. But let me tell you, my, I want to, I want to complete this point though. because, I, because the thing is, you know. What you deal with positive and negatives in writing too. Every scene has to take a turn from positive to negative, negative to positive, uh, you know, a negative to negatively ironic, whatever it is. Every scene has to turn, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. So what's so, you know, you have you have a value of of you know you have say one value of of, of love, and another of hate, but what's the double negative of that? What's the double negative? What's worse? than hating someone. Oh, just being indifferent? Ha! Double negative. Indifference. Indifference. I don't even care enough about you to hate even you. Think about, yeah. Hasta la vista. See you next Easter. Yeah. That's the way I roll well, now. Well, I don't, I, I don't I, carry well, that, that fucking hate. But that's where Ho'oponopono can take you to. Yeah. Like, it takes you to that place of like where you 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 don't you don't. Ho'oponopono. It's 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 Hawaiian. It's Hawaiian. You I spent, love it. You spent time in Hawaii. Yeah, that's I was you, down there doing the fucking pit there on Calicut. Selling to undercover cops. And I, no, I didn't sell to no undercover. All right, you made that joke I'm already. Joking, I'm joking. <laughs> it's the law of diminishing returns, brother. Yeah. The First ice cream cone tastes amazing. By the fifth, you're puking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just quote McKee all day long, so yeah. I look intelligent. Yeah. That's but a, if you guys want to take, I want to take that class. Anyone? You took. Oh my God, dude. Does he still teach it? Yes. I'm taking. You go it. on uh, Robert McKee's story seminars, or, or you look it. up story Robert McKee. 
I took the seminar. I walked out of there on the last night with fucking tears rolling down yeah. my fucking cheeks. That's how powerful and moving that fucking course is. Yeah. It just... I, I, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Yeah, well, your it, book is fan. I mean, honestly, no smoke, dude. It's a great book. I'm loving it. I'm not all the way through it yet. I'm that's a, all right. I'm not all the way through it, but I, I'm so into it. You know, I when they <laughs> first, when that book first came out, all those fake memoirs came out, A Million Little Pieces. Oh, yeah. And all these other books. This girl said she was a gangbanger and yeah. fucking white girl. So, like, Robert Havella from The Village Voice says, hey, I want to I wanna do a piece on your book, uh, blah, 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 blah. I go to meet him at Kate's joint, Reven- and he takes Reggie's the fucking him. book and slides it across the table, and he's like, dude, come on. I'm like, what? He's like, dude, there's no way that the stuff in this book, that you did all this, <laughs> and you're still alive. I said, bro, let me tell you something. Comes I did shit true to me, dude. worse yeah, than I- what's in that fucking book. That I couldn't put in there. Let me tell you something right now. I'll give you all the motherfucking numbers. Anybody you want to check this shit. My mom, my brothers, the state. Go to fucking Bupers. Whatever. Freedom of Information Act. Look at my military service. Anything you want to do. He goes, really? Give me the numbers. I did. You know what they did? They called? They fucking gave me the fucking front cover of the Village Voice. Oh, that's cool. The Blood Clot Diaries with a microphone dripping in blood. And it said the brutal life and times of John Joseph. They fact-checked everything. And the dude was like, yo, I called my mom. My mom didn't even know I wrote the book. What, 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 was her, her. what was her take on it? She came to the first fucking reading I did and cried. She lost her shit. She had to get taken out by my aunt. She didn't mind her portrayal? No, because it's the truth. My mom told me I was living the ending of the book. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to end it. I'm like, how the fuck do you put a cap on this? Yeah. How do you build the climax? Because everything has to be invested in the climax, whether you're telling a movie, you're writing a book, everything. There's the five points of story design. Progressive, uh, uh, inciting incident, progressive complications, crisis, climax, resolution. Mm-hmm. How do I end that story? I was living the fucking story. My brother slipping into addiction. The day before 9-11, I do an intervention. He had the detox at my fucking house. Mm. All the shit coming out, the, the abuse, everything. Imagine somebody detoxing in your fucking house on your couch because I couldn't get him to St. Thomas because all the flights were grounded, which pissed me off. And my mother, I got her an apartment because the dude she was living with at the time that she was married to was a gambler, ex-alcoholic, gambled away the house. She got divorced and had nothing. She was homeless, no furniture, no nothing. Her clothes. I got her an apartment. She calls me up. You know what she says to me? What? I got to tell you something. Don't be mad. I said, what? Now, I'm going through all this other shit at the same time with Frank and all this other stuff. She goes, I let Carl move in with me. Uh, that's the dude who didn't want us <clears throat> around when we right. was kids and made us made my mother not take us back mm-hmm. and all of that shit came from from there so i just lost my shit on her and i said everything i needed to say and that's when she was like i was raped i didn't know her story mm-hmm. i and she also said 
I failed you guys because I chose other people over you, and I wish I could take it back. Wow. But I can't. I wish I could take back every minute of suffering you had to do because of me, but I can't. And I had to live. With, and I have to live with that for the rest of my life. Wow. The conversation. That's beautiful. Let me tell you something. Fuck. This sake. is how my movie ends. It's that scene. Mm. And I'm going to tell you something right now, except it don't happen on the phone because that's not dramatic. Right. A phone conversation. We sat there, and I'm not bullshitting you. We sat there for five minutes sobbing. Right. Uncontrollably. God, not saying a word. Yeah. And then I've been close. Dude, I got I've been, goosebumps, I've man. been closer <laughs> to my mother after that than I've ever been. Yeah. That's so, incredible. Yeah, it's That's he- the power it's of forgiveness. I had to forgive her. And I had to forgive Carl. Yeah. Carl was dying of cancer. Yeah. He came to my porch. And this was a big fucking Con Edison fucking worker with arms the size of my legs. Mm. Down to 110 pounds. Mm. Cancer. Eating him away. Crying on my fucking stoop. Asking for me to forgive him. And I did. And I helped him transition. I went to the hospital. That's wild, And put man. Ganges water on him and did all these spiritual ceremonies when he slipped into the coma to help him transition to the next world. So, like, the forgiveness is there, man. you know? The, the, that's, what I, that's the whole lesson I've learned is, is to forgive, to forgive people, mm-hmm. you know? My mo- I didn't understand what my mother was going through. Mm. She got raped twice. Everybody- she didn't have no way to pay for any of our shit. And the family and everybody told her not even to have me and my brother. I wouldn't even be here. Yeah. They told her to get a fucking abortion. And she said to me, I couldn't do that. You were still my babies. Right. I was not married to your father. I was separated. But the fact of the matter is I wasn't going to kill my, my child. And like, I don't tell, I, I just say, look, that was my situation. And my mother allowed me to come into this world. And I've tried to, since I worked on myself, try, try to help as many people a, as possible at this point, you know? You're but, doing a great job with that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people who come from abusive situations don't ever get uh, the abusers in question or whatever, never ask for forgiveness. They never... They, they never cop to anything they've ever done. I think a lot of people deal with that. So I think you're lucky in that regard that, you, that they've actually come, come through in some regard like that. Who? Your mom and Carl yeah, and stuff I like mean, that. Yeah, I mean, like, they, were, uh, they were responsible. Or maybe res- not to call them abusers, but just, you yeah. know, people who people don't often come clean all the time. Yeah, it was a big thing for my mother, like, to say... To right. accept that responsibility. Right. I knew what that took. That takes a lot. Took a fucking lot, man. Yeah. Because, I mean, my mother tried to kill herself with pills, like, uh, you know, just all kinds of stuff. We went home on a visit, and we, we were like, we, we, ne- we made a pact not to tell her what was going on in the home because right. she couldn't handle it emotionally. Mm-hmm. So we had to hold all that in. So we wanted to come home so bad, we started leaking stuff out on a home visit that we had, and she had a nervous breakdown. Yeah, she flipped And out. tried to take all... I, we had to call our uncle to come and fucking... Like, imagine your little kids and your mother's trying to take a bunch of pills and screaming, she's ugly and I want to die, and like, 
fucking having a meltdown in front of you and you're a fucking kid going through this shit in a foster home. Mm. That shit fucked me up, man. And we didn't get to come home for a while after that. Like you that. know, it reminds me, and this goes back to your, like, he, he's looking to sell to uh, cops because he stole a fish tank for his mom and then went back to the same fucking pet store to buy fish the next day after he's... <laughs> so you might be onto something. Because think of that, dude. Like, you dude. Go, to, go to a different pet store to buy the fish at least. Uh, and the, <laughs> and the and only and one and in we New York. It. So my brothers went in. Yeah, we were the three biggest fucking hustlers you could ever imagine. And it was... Like I always say, hustlers are not born. They're fucking created out of necessity. Yeah, you love the hustle. Dude, we was hustling like a <laughs> motherfucker, bro. And we were trying to buy her love, man. Yeah. Like that fucking Christ head necklace, she has that to this day. I put a picture of it in the book. Mm. The one we, we were stealing money from the Foster family. Five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. So we bought her this necklace and we, we figured we're going to give this to her for Christmas and we're going to come home this Christmas. Didn't fucking happen. Right. Didn't happen. And she still has that Christ head. What does that say? Is it who? Jesse Mallon? What does it say? I don't know. I can't see it. Patty Jenkins. Pa send it to me. Patty Jenkins, sing it, send it to me. It's the script. Oh, wow. Shout out Patty Jenkins. Is that, uh, what are they <coughs> called? Karma. Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Yeah. yeah. We Great album, by the way. Yeah. Manifested Woo! it. I agree. Fucking love the police. Sting is underrated. Sting is amazing, but yeah. so, is, so is fucking Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers. Yeah. My boy Googie from the Misfits. Saw them when they played at CBGB's. I think it was 79. Mm. And nobody. Nobody could touch Nobody them. knew who the fuck they were, really. They just yeah. came out and went off. He's like, Sting was all over the fucking stage with the bass. <laughs> yeah. And Stuart Copeland is the only drummer that plays ahead of the beat, but still grooves. Unbelievable. He's amazing. I like what you say about with HR when you talk about him being the best front man in the world and how he always gives it up to Ja. And then you said this whole thing about like the reason music was powerful is because when it's for service and for God and f coming from God, whereas music that's just coming from the ego, ego is bullshit. Well, we'll talk not, about not, that a little. It not even bullshit. Not necessarily had to be God, but just from a good spiritual place and service, the power yeah. of like what they did when the bad brains and listen to me man i saw everybody from the original led zeppelin black sabbath in the 70s aerosmith yes rolling stones you name it i seen them all nobody could fucking touch hr nobody could fucking polish that man's fucking shoes mm -hmm. in 1980 and through that first period before he started having his issues all the way up to eye against eye and all that Nobody could fucking touch him on stage. And when I saw that the first time, I wrote about it in my book. It was fucking, I was like, I have to know what the fuck this guy is into, man. That's how powerful it was. I was like, I was blown the fuck away. And he never took credit for him. If, if you tried to glorify him, he'd be like, nah, man, it's just Ja, you know. It's just Ja, man. Mm -hmm. Ja give any ability a man have. Mm-hmm. 
I don't take credit myself, man. I try to be an instrument for Ja to work through. You know? Because that's how it is. You're a transparent via medium. Right. The minute you think it's me, it's gone. You yeah. lose. That's what happened in the Cro-Mags. Mm. We were trying to put a message out there, the age of quality. I named that album that. That came from my me studying. I would live two years as a monk. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of shit, didn't I? 82 you to 84, shit, I was a Hare Krishna monk. Yeah. Woody Harrelson read my book. I met him at Candle, at Candle Cafe West. You know what he said? What? Out of everything he could have said about that book, Evolution of a Cro-Magnon, you know what he said? What? That Hare Krishna stuff was insane. <laughs> yeah, I'm on that part right oh now. Oh my God, I won't ruin it for you. Right, no, well, ruin, ruin it. it ruin everyone it for else. everyone else. Nah, man. But like, I, I mean, I'm on it like where you're talking about- They took a, a, what probably, let me just say this. Prabhupada was a man that came from India seventy in his 70s, mm-hmm. a sannyasi in the renounced order of life because his spiritual master, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati, said, go to the West and spread this knowledge, right? Prabhupada got on a ship in the middle of winter, the Jaladutta from India, suffered two heart attacks and almost died. That's how selfless he was. And he came to the Bowery Allen Ginsberg and all of them took to him. He just sat in Tompkins Square Park and chanted, and they got him a little place, a storefront, and he cooked for people. He fed people. He cleaned before he took a grain of rice. That's the He had no possessions. Everything, he asked people to help him print Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita, and he had not one penny. That was the example. If you see, go on YouTube and watch your ever well-wisher and learn about who this person was. It's like Acharya means one who leads by example. So when I saw what Prabhupada was doing and how he lived and the stories of his life and, and what he accomplished, I was like, this, I want to be, and, and the devotees at the time were very nice. I said, I want to, I, I, I need this. And I had like a little falling out with the bad brains. They got kind of infiltrated by some very uh, racist Rastafarians. Saying white people are evil. That followed Farrakhan. And and, and uh, I was like, you know, one trip we went up to like Boston and they played Farrakhan tapes for fucking five hours on a ride. I'm like, yo, what the fuck is this? White people are the devils. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like white people is your fans. We're We're all white helping you, not getting paid. Like... Mm-hmm. Risking my motherfucking life going on tour with you, right. fighting fucking redneck bikers and whoever the fuck. Yeah. Standing up for you guys. Like, you're listening to some really fucked up people right now. Yeah. That's when that whole, we're not going to play any more punk rock music, we're going to just be a reggae band. I'm like, you ain't going to have fucking 20 people in the club if you do that. Right. I decided... So he told me you got to be careful who you allow in your inner circle. Like you even made a I saw on your Instagram about toxic people and make sure you watch you you let in your inner circle. man. Did you see what Mike Tyson just said the other day about people? Did you see that post? I I like Mike Tyson, though. Go on his fucking thing. And he he goes, let me tell you something about Hey, Let me see if I can find it. I'm going to play you 30 seconds of this. Watch this. Okay. Where's Mikey? People, um, 
People are opportunists. They look for a chance for you to fall, but they stay close to you as they're your friend or you're empowered. But as soon as the opportunity comes, and they may help the opportunity by putting somebody, by planting somebody in your situation, and as soon as the time comes where you're down and out, that's when everybody stick their forks in your neck and in your back. But then one day, if you're strong and you overcome your adversity, then it's going to be their turn. But let's see how well they handle it. I don't think that the people that can handle it well as I handle it. They're not as tough as they think they are. Everyone thinks they're a tough guy, they're a big shot, but they're not, deep down inside. If you strip them down for what they truly are, they're cowards because they manipulate and they misuse people. And only cowards do that because they're insecure themselves and their own manhood. I talk to the smallest, wimpiest guy in the world the same way I talk to the biggest, baddest motherfucker. Listen, let me tell you about I love that. That's amazing. Did you see fucking Undisputed? I saw that shit on at the Beacon Theater live. And all the homies oh, I didn't see it. were in the fucking house. And Mike's doing his thing. And everybody's yelling shit out. Yo, Mike! About the projects and this and throwing names out there. It was so beautiful. And he showed the fucking... He showed the picture of when he went to Spofford. And I yell out, B3, Mike! And he goes, I hear you! <laughs> That's what you and I was. I was uh, in B3 in Spofford. Right. <laughs> But fucking Mike, you know. Oh, that's funny. It's like you gotta watch who the fuck you let in your circle, man. Yeah. There's vultures. There's fucking vampires. How do you? How do do you listen to your gut about people, or do you just observe? It's a street. Because it, also, like you, like when you come out of abuse too, you draw in people that are going to uh, provoke similar traumas in your life. I found. Like, yeah. And so, I, I it, it took me a long time to even understand what boundaries well, you were know what and the, create you know boundaries. What, you know what the streets teach you? What? You're a fucking expert judge of character. The bullshit detector's always on. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't accept shit at face value. Like, if somebody says something or is trying to get involved, I could pretty much read people pretty fucking well. So you haven't fallen into, well, toxic people that often? Or... You, or- you know, they get exposed pretty fucking quickly and get their walking papers. Yeah. But I don't put myself in a position for them to gain any kind of, like, influence or power over me because I don't have time to go smashing people and getting all caught up in, in that shit anymore because th- I did that a long time. For a long time, my reaction was the psychiatrist in the Navy they had me see a psychiatrist when I was locked up. I had to take Thorazine sometimes, whatever the fuck, when I broke. And in the Navy, they had me seeing a shrink. And he asked me, do I know what the term conflict resolution means? And I didn't. I said, no, I don't know what that means. He goes, you know, it means talking things out. I thought he would meant because talking things out with the people I had problems with. But what he said was, no. The problems are within us. Yeah. We're burying stuff and we're fighting with ourselves, with yeah. our own inner demons. The world is a mirror. So like these days, I don't really put myself out there or give people a chance. And if you fucking pull some grimy shit, like, and I'm involved with you, like, you know, I just had a falling out. Not even, it's just somebody 
that I've been dealing with business for a long time fucking ripped me off. Mm -hmm. I I entrusted them, but you know what? I just fucking I just walked the fuck away, man. I'm like, all right, you just showed your fucking hand because what did McKee say? True character is only revealed under pressure. The greater the pressure, the greater the revelation of true character. So there's a lot of pressure right now. What's going on in this fucking world? Yeah, we're so all we're gotten to see who the fuck is who. Yeah, we are. Who's gonna to crack? Yeah. Right when the pressure's on, what do the Marines say? When the going gets tough, the tough, tough get, get going. going. Yeah. Look at David Goggins. If you don't follow that motherfucker on Instagram, I do. I love you, it. Yeah, <laughs> and all these other guys, Jocko, fucking all yeah. these like rich roll. All yeah. these fucking top tier fucking humans. Yeah, I agree. They all have the same quality that they, when that shit, when that pressure got fucking turned on, man, they fucking, they manned up and they, and they overcame it by taking action, not sitting on your ass speculating what to do how did you discover that in yourself to train for all these iron mans and to, to be like an endurance athlete like that that's a whole other crazy yeah chapter. we didn't really talk about that well you know what it was i'm gonna tell you something my uncle god rest his soul he's a vietnam veteran my uncle rocco d'angelo married my mother's sister and when i was getting in trouble on the streets my uncle rocco would always come and try to get me out he was he was like a dad. He was like the father I never had. And I fucking loved him. But one of the things we always used to do, I used to go to his house in Astoria, and we and, and, and he was into cycling because he's Italian. Like first generation. And mom was straight off the fucking boat. Rocco D'Angelo. A beautiful fucking person. So we would watch the Paris-Roubaix. We would watch the Tour de France. This was This was in fucking, you know... 84, in the 80s, I was going to his house, and I watched the Ironman on Wide World of Sports on the Big Island in Hawaii, and I was like, I cried when they were, when people crossed the finish line, stories of people with cancer, surviving crazy shit, lost their family when they do the athlete stories. And then just watching all these athletes, I said, I'm going to fucking do that race one day. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to do one of those. And I always been fit. I boxed in, in jail. When I was locked up, I got into sports. They always say in the correction system, you got to get your weight up. That means you better put on some motherfucking muscle. So I went in at 135 soaking wet. I came out 165 pounds, a fighter, jacked, with the attitude to match from the streets. And I was always into fitness. So the thing was, when I went AWOL, I couldn't use my Social Security number, right? So what's the job that you could get back then in 1981 where you didn't? besides the health food store, I ended up becoming a bike messenger because they give you a check cashing card with any motherfucking name on it you want. You go to their bank and they cash the check. No taxes, no nothing. So I'm riding a girl's 10-speed just trying to make money. And these guys that worked at the company, one of which was Nelson Vales. Nelson Vales was a bike messenger in New York City, African-American fucking... Legs the size of trees, made it to the Olympic team in 84 and won a silver medal for track. 
So the, all these guys were like, yo, if you get a real bike, you'd be making money. So I got a real bike. Then they were like, you should come to the park with us at 7 o'clock and do the crit ride. Four laps, all out, 20, 25 miles an hour. A pack of 40 motherfuckers riding. So, and I, I was always into fitness, you know. I, I uh, took some martial arts and played ball. And, you know, the Valentes, that was how I even the playing field in life. I would smash motherfuckers on the football field or whatever the fuck it took. You know that story about the basketball coach, man. Mr. P, dude. Mr. P. Mr. P, that's the that's the most I fucking that's still the most cry. emotional part of that I book. I still dude, cry when Mr. I think P. of what that motherfucker did dude, for me, th- man. That part hit. Yeah. It, I, I didn't so yeah. Nice. Please share. Yeah. It was you know it's it was a, it, it was it was uh He wasn't getting any breaks in life and this guy showed gave me showed kindness. First time. Yeah. That's so moving, like yeah. in a story for some. Like I was like noticing that, like wow, the emotional weight of yeah. somebody showing empathy and kindness, like the power of like love to move you. Like everybody knew we were labeled the orphans, and everybody fucked with us in the neighborhood, uh, but nobody knew the depth of it because we kept secrets. Well, you told somebody, and then you got betrayed. Yeah, early on. That's what happened. But I didn't get into the, the sexual abuse and shit like that. I just said they were fucking physically abusing me. Mm-hmm. The foster father used to beat the shit out of us. Oh, uh, and uh, but yeah, and, and and then I made the basketball team. I had to sneak around, and it was like it was everything to me. Like somebody accepted me. I was able to. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Like nobody's judging me. I'm the starting point guard. I, I was gonna be. You were. You were in a family. Yeah, and I didn't have a family really. Yeah. And then uh, that's why I got into hardcore punk. It was the well, same that, shit. And also with the uh, Hare Krishna. When you don't too. have a family, uh, and the you Navy create in a way too. You create your tribe. Yeah, you did that along the way a lot of times. Navy, I never clicked with. I didn't fit in. I was a fucking. Well, that's a I dysfunctional was round family. Pe- round peg in a square hole. I clicked with the punks yeah the hardcore people in dc more than even norfolk they were chumps to me because mm-hmm. nobody would fight the rednecks and i put a chair over a motherfucker's head in mm-hmm. the taj mahal and fought a bunch of rednecks that came in there so it was like but mr p man showed me showed me kindness i had like a, you know like you, every day they would put up the cut list and I kept making it through and making it through. And then I made the team. And then the final cut list went up. And I was on it. Uh, like, if your name wasn't up on the list, rather, you were cut. Mm-hmm. And my name, I went and I'm like, my name wasn't there. And I ran into his office. I said, why did I get cut? And he goes, you were supposed to have the money for the uniforms. Mm. And that's when I, I lost my shit. I broke down crying and told him, told him everything, mm. what was going on. And he paid for my uniforms and made me the cal- co-captain, the whole shit. And then the foster fa- father found out what I, that I was on the team. It was crazy. You can't make this shit up because they put out... They put out fucking lunches in, in, in bread bags, right? Rotten bread bags, Wonder Bread bags. So every day we would go by this sewer up the street 
and we would throw the lunches down there because the kid snatched it one time in the lunchroom and made fun of me. And I was like, my brother's my brother E, who's the fucking head scammer, was like, we're going to throw these lunch. We're getting so we would throw the lunches every day down this fucking sewer, the Wonder Bread bags. Every fucking day. And then we would eat the kids' lunches in school or beg money or whatever the fuck go in the supermarket, eat up and down the aisles until we were full. We started stealing money. So the first big game we had was fucking pouring rain out. And uh, we we won. I scored like I don't know how many points. They were like, and then the cheerleaders would be like, 7-11-64, who do you think we're rooting for? John, John. Good. Like fucking every time you score the bass, like I was like, holy shit. I'm like, these people fucking love me, man. Mm-hmm. Like I started fi- first game. Mm. I think we played Wine Dance or Copeg, one of them. And when the bus pulled into John F. K. Junior High School, everybody got ready to get off and the foster father was standing there. And he fucking grabs me by the hair. Mr. P had words with him. And he drives me and doesn't say shit. And he pulls up to that lot. And in that lot, there was bulldozers. They started bulldozing the lot. And the dirt washed into the sewer and backed it up. And in the trees and all over the lot were thousands of Wonder Bread bags everywhere. And my brothers were in there picking them up. And, you know, it could beat the shit out of me. And was like, we give you good food and this is how... Like, these people were so psychotic. Wow. They fed us Oreo spit sandwiches. Mm. Like, she didn't like... His wife didn't like the the, the filling... So she would scrape it off, spit it in a bowl, and wipe it on green molded and stale bread, and on one stale one of bread, and feed it to us with tea. Or if we were lucky, we got Cheerios and tea, mm. and rotten. Like if I even see olive loaf, I throw up. They would give us the rotten cold cuts that were in the back of their refrigerator. That they would cut the green molded parts off, and like. It was it was insane what these people did, and they were getting all this money for us and a fucking abusing the fuck out of us, and then the older foster kids were doing shit to me and my brothers. So it was like, it was hell. It was hell. Six years, man, of fucking hell. And having to keep my mouth shut. But I told Mr. P, man, and he, like, you know... Fucking, it was emotional. Like, even today... He when stood I up to him it, at that point, too. I said, yeah, we started... Well, the, the thing was, was like, we wanted to get the fuck out of there. And we decided... We kept this this uh, diary of everything they did to us, and we wrote it down for years. Mm. And we were like, we got to get out of here. This is getting fucking bad. And that was right after that. So we give the journal into the social worker from fucking Angel Guardian Home in Mineola. It's a grown-ass man. He cried. Yeah. He said he cried for an hour. And then uh, he told them, they he told them, like, did, you know, what was in there. And they said, oh, they made it up. So, like, you figure they would remove you at that point yeah. from the home. They didn't. They left us there. 
So we were getting pressure from them. You got to say you made all of this up. And they started get. They got us pool passes to the Deer Park pool. They got us fucked. They took us to buy toys. They got us new clothes. Mm-hmm. Everything they were supposed to be doing, they started fucking doing. And we're like, what are you going to say to Mr. Hayes when he gets here that we made it all up? We just milked it. And when Mr. Hayes showed up, we were like, every fucking thing we said is true. Get us the fuck out of here. And they always told us we were, you know what he did to me one time when I did say what happened? He took me to that mental institution, yeah. Pilgrim State, Shoved and pressed my face against the fence with all like mental patients grab, gouging my face and pulling my hair. And he said, if you fucking say one more word, I'm going to put you in here and nobody's ever going to know where you are. And I believed it. That's why we kept quiet. But then I was like, you, you, you know, you, you were the one that deserved to be in the fucking mental home, you know, and and that was it, man. We went, bounced around to a couple homes, and then ended up in this foster home in Garden City. But it's just been a crazy, it's been a crazy uh, ride, man. Do you yeah. think that fuels your motivation to do the Iron Man's and stuff? The trauma of that of those early experiences. I mean, you know what it is. I know that there's that other person waiting for me. So if I don't stack, like I said, if you don't fill your plate with good shit, yeah. It's going to be full of bullshit. That's right. You don't leave no room on the plate. That's why every day I get after it. Yeah. I have a list. I have those cork boards I talk about in my new book, The PMA Effect. Mm-hmm. I got to get that. And it's like I have a system and it's like I list out everything I'm going to be doing the night before. And you I get wake after, up early? Yeah, I got up. I get up four o'clock. Four o'clock. I was a bum today. I slept till 4.15. And, and so what time do you go to sleep? 10. 10. 10, 10.30. You ever have a hard time getting to sleep early or not? Nah, man. I pass no. the fuck out. When my head touches the pillow, I'm out like a motherfucker. Yeah. Well, in the foster care, was there ever a fear that they would separate you guys? Yeah, well, that's what they did well, at they, first. They, they did. See, at first, when we first, we were separated. So we wanted to be together. The, the home my brother was in, it was during the Vietnam War. So that guy was taking foster kids girls from vietnam and he was molesting them so that house got shut down and they put my older brother in with us there and that's when we started being able to scam and survive Mm. and the main thing we had to do was stay together no matter what we had to stay together because we said why don't we tell what's happening and get out of here and and the reasoning was they'll separate they'll separate us and then we'll be separated again And I may never see you again. Right. And I believed he could put me in a fucking insta- institution. Mm-hmm. Why not? They had complete control and manipulation. And people say, why don't kids say something? Yeah. Because they threaten the fucking shit out of you and beat your ass and you believe in what they're telling you they're going to fucking do. And their Stockholm Syndrome is a, th- is a real thing. I mean, you know. I still called them mom and would exactly. say I love you. Yeah. Well, and you need and like the even I'm gonna tell you something else. Even after they got us out of the home and we went to these different homes, they fucking reached out, and I was like, "Yeah, I want to come back there," because I was with them for six years. I almost was like, 
Yeah, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, dude, it's, 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 it's I swear a, to God, man. Bro, it's a heavy thing. You I mean, can't fucking understand it. Well, think you it, can't it, understand it, it, it but up, I don't know why. But it that actually it's a big thing. It goes one of on, the fucking foster kids that molested me came to St. John's Home for Boys when I was in there, and he was looking to fucking molest me again. Like he was a fucking weird dude, man. And he's like, "You should come back." Just tell them you made it up. You could still come back and, you know, you, it's going to be like it was before you left and all this shit. And I almost fell for it. Right. But he was there to fucking do more shit to me. Yeah. I was fucking 13. There's 70, evil. 76. There's evil in the world. There's evil. There's evil and motherfuckers it, in the world. And envy. Envy is the source of the evil. It's like, and it's the, and there's. Envy's the root of all evil. And it ain't fucking yeah, money. Yeah, you said that in your book, and I like that. Because think, an envious motherfucker will go to the ends of the earth and destroy themselves to destroy you if they're envious of you. And the biggest thing people are envious of is is happiness and sort of the vibe of like a good PMA or good good vibe yeah. of life and so people try to shit on that. We, I'm we, like, we might be dealing with that on a on some kind of level with this whole pandemic too. Is like I, I was wondering about like is this just like a lot of this is based on people like mad at other people having a good time? <laughs> you know, I I, t I tweeted that out, and you know, people were like, "What'd you tweet out? Something like that?" No, I wrote on Twitter. I said, you know, people are asking me. I'll tell you right now. How the fuck am I? I'll tell you what it is. Hold on. That's my brother's killing. Someone asked me, how is it I'm smiling in a good mood when I'm in New York City? Well, I say hello to everyone on the street. Tell them to have a nice day. I mm -hmm. practice kindness, feeding the needy. I meditate, exercise, and eat right. But most importantly... I don't watch the news <laughs> at all. Yeah. 1,132 likes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, like, it's about practicing kindness. And, uh, you know, there's this whole bullshit macho attitude that, like, if I show kindness, I show weakness. Yeah. That's bullshit. That is Some bullshit. Some of the toughest motherfuckers I know on the planet. Mm-hmm. My boy's like an elite fucking Navy SEAL. He's the kindest fucking person you mm. and and most respectful, humble human being you will ever fucking meet. Mm -hmm. And he fought for the world championship of Muay Thai under Phil Nurse. He was in the movie Act of Valor, the guy from Trinidad, the Muay Thai fighter. Dude, he give you the fucking shirt off his back. He never has a bad word. If you say something, if you talk bad about somebody, he'll walk the fuck away. Yeah, because he's smart. He doesn't poison himself, man. He's, I swear to God, and I wrote about him in the PMA, like in the PMA effect when, when I DNF'd, I didn't finish in Florida because it was a, it was a whole thing happened during that Ironman and like, I got, uh, it was 34 degrees in Florida. Uh -huh. This freak system moved in. And I had a short sleeve shirt and, and bike shorts, and I got hypothermia. The medical team pulled me off. You didn't whim The off swim it. was canceled because it was eight-foot waves, 40-mile-an-hour winds. I did the 112-mile bike. I was 13 miles into the marathon, and the sun was going down by the water in Panama City Beach, and I... Went into the porta potty to fucking warm up. 
And when I came out, the medical team was like, check my blood pressure. They're like, dude, you're done. You got fucking hypothermia. Wow. And I fucking was so beat up over it. You're mad and at And the yourself? next day, he wrote me a letter on an email and he goes, how'd the race go? I said, bro, he gave me, the, he laid into me and gave me the fucking sauce. And right. he said, you weren't prepared. You were not prepared. It's your fault. You should have checked everything. You should have had the pride. This is a Navy SEAL telling you this. Uh-huh. Like, you know what I'm saying? The yeah. baddest motherfuckers on the planet, and he's one of the baddest of the bad. And then he's like, do you don't let this define you. Uh-huh. PMA, PMA is everything right now, your mindset. You get back on that fucking horse nice. as soon as possible. And I signed up for Cozumel, Iron Man, three weeks later it was. And I went down to Cozumel, Mexico, and I and I I set a personal uh, my P, my PR my personal record. That's amazing. Yeah, because like you you surround yourself by those types of people, not people that are like, oh, it's okay, you'll get them next time. Yeah, there ain't no fucking uh. next time. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. I hate I, my <laughs> friends tell me. When I'm full of shit. Yeah. Right. Not somebody yeah. that kisses your ass. Yeah. That's not your friend. Chanaka Pandit said, he who glorifies me is my enemy. Mm. A famous philosopher in India. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. The ones who call you on your bullshit, that's your friends. Yeah, we're not afraid. They don't let you, you get truth. away with nothing. We call this guy telling it like it is. <laughs> hey, who? When you pr- when you train for this stuff, do you also practice like brahmacharya? Like how much like uh, how much does that factor in? Do you it, practice semen retention? It, it, all it that factors kind of stuff? a lot. You know, like yeah. you know, my girl knows it's like coming down to the race. She's like, all yeah. right, I know we're gonna have good sex after the race. Right. <laughs> like I think like when you I did hold my it, first bro. Iron Man, she just <laughs> fed me pizza and like we had some crazy sex and I went to sleep. Talk about that though because I, I practiced that. I, yeah. I, I been, got into that and I, I've been on Well, if you know the whole system, like there's, there's yoga and there's gymnastics. So mm-hmm. Hatha yoga is meant, uh, what it is, is it, it, it's the breathing <laughs> practices. Yoga and gymnastics. Yeah, that, that's what Prabhupada said. You're not practicing yoga. You're practicing Because <laughs> to become a real yogi, you have to practice complete celibacy mm-hmm. and you the, the kundalini you actually take the semen retention you you learn how to pull it up into pull the spine yeah. to the base of the brain through doing this with your like you know yeah. you know the whole system yeah. and, and if you look at the Tao of love sex and longevity all the teachings the vedic teachings of mm-hmm. yoga and all of this even boxers yeah. don't have sex a month or two before a fight because yeah. it weakens your you know your legs and I think the ratio is it takes a hundred drops of blood to make one, one drop, drop of, of semen. Or, yeah. There's yeah. like a whole science to uh-huh. it. The best blood. The best yeah. blood, bro. Like like top shelf blood. Not yeah, that so stuff like, that's down in your feet or whatever. When I was <laughs> two years as a, I was a brahmachari, I didn't bust a single nut. No, yeah. no masturbation. None of that shit. You retain that shit. Yeah. You do your breathing exercises. Every fucking day, you train like a maniac. Yeah, you need and to. And you develop internal chi. That's just like, it's fucking insane. It's amazing. And then that energy has to express itself somewhere else. It's like It fuels creativity it like does, a man. motherfucker. It's it the does. Be- it's really great. No, man, I'm telling so you right I hear. now. It's, it's, <laughs> it is. It's next level. It is next level. I'm on. Ron the- Jeremy's over <laughs> here. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I don't know. You I got jerked off four times already today. What the fuck are you talking about? What? Time I feel it? great. 
Uh, no, he keeps telling me about it, but 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 there's a science to all of this. If you look at yeah. the Ayurveda and the Vedic teachings and the Srimad Bhagavatam, like when I get into something, I I get into it fucking full bore. Me too. So like when I when I started reading the Krishna books by Prabhupada, I was like. I got to live this, man. And mm -hmm. I went and lived as a celibate monk for two years, mm -hmm. a year in Hawaii and a year in New York. And I was like, and I'll tell you something right now. Um, those two years, and I've been on stage in front of fucking 30, 40,000 motherfuckers. They did all kinds of crazy shit in my life. Those were the most peaceful two years of my life. I was in, Vaikuntha means free from anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that's what, spiritual practice is you yeah. don't even fear death yeah you reset your dopamine completely what did Prabhupada say a, a bhakti yogi steps on the head of death like you don't fear anything because you're living in the right in the right place and you're living to help other people and you're doing all this positive work in the world you That's know right. so you know but yeah. yeah before a race absolutely man two weeks or, Whatever. Yeah, you said something in your book too. It was like talking about how, like, or maybe it was an interview I was listening to where you said something about, like, yeah, you're going to seek pleasure on some level regardless. I'm going to word this yeah. wrong. So, but you could either seek it like through materialism yeah. or spiritualism. And I, and I think of like brahmachari or whatever, however you say it, or semen retention in that way. You like, you you don't give yourself these huge dopamine spikes, then suddenly just like sitting and enjoying a breeze becomes like very pleasurable. Yeah. Well, you know, the nature of the soul is to enjoy. Yeah. Prakriti. We're, we're, meant, we're meant to be enjoyers. So you can't artificially renounce enjoyment. It's not possible. But how do you replace that? taste for enjoyment with a higher taste yeah and that's why that's what Prabhupada always talked about how do you stay high forever drugs are temporary I don't that's give a fuck right. if it's ayahuasca whatever the fuck you're I doing agree. mushrooms this that <laughs> ibogaine yeah <laughs> that ibogaine. one lasts for three days but yeah it's not forever I mean you know it doesn't it doesn't last it's yeah. a temporary high yeah. same so, with sex I guess yeah so absolutely I, yeah. you know how do you stay high forever how do you enjoy Happiness. permanently and that's that's the key that we should be and that happens uh, uh you know on a subtle level not the gross material platform yeah that happens internally spiritually but the those subtle pleasures becomes... are there otherwise a monk could never give up everything he out you know that i left i left because i started seeing the bullshit that was going on right People were getting fucking murdered. Kids got molested. Yeah. Money was getting ripped off. It was, drugs were being sold out of temples. Women raped. Like crazy shit. Yeah. And I've gone on a fucking warpath against them ever since. But the other thing was... Against? Against ISKCON and the, lead, the bogus leaders that stole the movement from Prabhupada, basically, and is did there, everything... Is there a genuine movement left? There is, it's, it's, it, there's a collective group of devotees who are, who are constantly, uh, you know, speaking out against what's going on. And the funny thing is, it's just like the government calling us conspiracy theories because the Krishna leaders got it locked up. They say, if you find fault, 
That's called Vaishnav Aparad. You're making a great offense against a Vaishnav. And my rebuttal is, motherfucker, you ain't acting like no Vaishnav, mm-hmm. so it's not a Vaishnav offense. Well, it's You're like- fucking stealing money. Mm-hmm. You got Joe Schmo over here that touched kids and raped kids the entire time he was the leader of the Hare Krishna school, and you still let this motherfucking pedophile come around? See, that was the whole thing that got me. Because when that, sh- that shit hit home, when I found out what they was doing to the kids, that's when I was like, it's on for life, motherfuckers. Get ready. Yeah. You're, I'm going to fight you till I take my last motherfucking breath. And I have. Mm-hmm. And this, was, this is over fucking 30 years now. Monkey on a stick. All these books, right. you know, that have come out. And, you know, they, gave, they poisoned Prabhupada. They did all this stuff to get... Prabhupada out of the way. That's how evil and envious these people were. And Prabhupada never asked for anything. Prabhupada always said, how can I serve you? Mm-hmm. How can I serve? These people don't think like that. Yeah. This guy that runs the Bhakti Center over here. Mm. Well, it's the same with the yoga guru. They're all fucking scammers, else. man. They're scammers. Let me tell you something. Wild, wild country, what they did... The Krishnas makes oh. that shit looks like a fucking Boy Scout, Boy Scout outing. That's true. And at some point, I'm going to fucking try to do a documentary about what the fuck I know and what I saw and get the, get the, get the footage and all of that stuff. But, you know, that's another, that's another topic. But it, to it's me, I had a calling yeah. to music, back yeah. to music. And I left the temple and I moved out of the temple into a fucking burnt out building with nothing rats taking showers at the fire hydrant in winter time i didn't steal money when i left the original wim hof <laughs> showers he was the doing fire. that shit before me i think <laughs> yeah but uh <laughs> you know and, and the thing was i wanted to play music and i knew how important me you know like i said in the foster home it was music always even as far back as I can remember in the 60s, my mother was dodging my father who was beating the shit out of her, breaking in, doing crazy shit. My moms would put on Motown 45s and we would dance around. And like I would act like I was a Motown singer, like singing into broom handles. And, and I forgot all the pain and suffering that was happening to us as a family. Even in the foster home, my mother... We got this little transistor black radio and I used the craziest fucked up shit was happening to me and I'd be under the blankets with my fucking earpiece in like listening to fucking, you know, Bill Withers and fucking all this other and all this other music. And it was like music's always been when I wasn't involved in music is when I got in the most trouble. And that's why when I even when I was a monk. And I remember the first trigger because I was in Hawaii and this couple came and they, they were walking down Kalakaua Avenue and they had a Bad Brain shirt on. This was 80, 82, 83. And I was like, yo, I used to work for them. You know, they're like, wow. And that's that seed was planted with the music again. See, a seed gets planted even in devotion and then you water it. So if you... If you water it properly, it grows into a creeper, a, a, a plant a, that flourishes with fruits and whatever. But if you poison it through 
activity, it dies. So that seed with the music was planted. And I was like, and it took a whole another like almost year for that to manifest. Uh, and seeing my old friends at, at the park when I would go down to feed the homeless at Tompkins Square Park, we fed KRS-One in the shelters and shit. But we would go down there and then I would see all the punk rockers and they'd be like, and Holly was coming up to me going, yo, man, leave the temple. I got the band back together. Because Cro-Mex formed in 81 and he was a dick to everybody and everybody quit. So then he got the band back. He's like, yo, leave the temple. We need you. I got the band. So that seed was like there and then it started getting watered and I was like, music, music, music. I was, you know, after my chanting at night, I was putting on Bad Brains records and, mm-hmm. you know, listening to that shit. And then when I started finding out all this stuff, that's when I just jetted. Like, it's weird how religion, like, it has these, uh, based on all these high ideals, and then it draws in the most fucked up behavior. Well, what does it well. say like in the, the Kali polarity, Yuga? The polarities. Like I said, I came up with the name Age of Quara for the Cro-Mags first record because it was based on the teachings of the Vedas. Kali Yuga, the age of quarrel yeah. and hypocrisy. Yeah. Where, in this age, people take irreligion to be religion, and the real spirituality, the religion, the, the real process to be irreligion. Mm-hmm. So now you have, look at all these motherfuckers on TV and all these spirit. They're the biggest fucking hoaxers going. Yeah. Televangelists. And all of them. Yeah. All of them. Mm-hmm. 99.9% Hare Krishna leaders. The fucking guys running the nation of Islam. They all got Just- busted. Uh... What's his name there? Um, Elijah Muhammad. You saw Malcolm X, what he was doing. He had everybody fooled. He was sleeping with the fucking women and sending them off to be isolated. And just every religious system, they're just scammers. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. And they take, and the, the most disgusting part of it, and I say this in my book, is that they took advantage of people that were at the end of their rope in life that were looking for something. A lot of people committed fucking suicide and slipped into drugs after all that shit went down in the Hare Krishnas in the 80s and 70s and they put so much faith into these guys and then they found out they were fucking molesting children and ordering people to be fucking murdered and and, and, uh, all this other shit. So it's like, they're the worst. They're the worst. When you take advantage of somebody who's at their low point in their life and looking for a way out of it, and you you exploit them, and you st- and you fucking take everything from them. You're you're the fucking worst parasite on the fucking planet. Mm-hmm. And whatever you get, you fucking deserve. Yeah, power corrupts. Prabhupada said anyone who touches a child should be hung. Yeah. And that I fucking agree. And they raped all the kids in the Hare Krishna schools. Yeah. So, is there any is there any like good leaders in that organization now, or is it just dumb? well, any leader that says they're not a guru, anyone, any leader who says Prabhupada's the teacher, do what Prabhupada says, that's that's who a real devotee is. Yeah. You know, and, and Prabhupada said, and, and this is Prabhupada. Prabhupada said, one who says he's my devotee is not my devotee. One who says he's the devotee of my devotee is my devotee. You understand that? Prabhupada said, serve the people that serve the movement. Mm. And there are very good people. 99.9% of those Krishna people are good people. They're just manipulated. 
The same way out in society, the ones who are telling us that we're conspiracy theories, they're good people. Mm -hmm. They just drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Some of them are sucking on the, the, the Kool-Aid frozen penis pop. They, they, they're so deep in that shit. Yeah. They don't even know. That's true. I tell them that shit. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I, you know, everything, I, I try to kick jokes too, but sometimes. You got to have a sense of humor They don't work. It. You can't have a stick up your ass. Somebody nah. said that to me the other, about, I posted a comedic uh, post. And he's like oh, going on a rant. I saw I'm it with like, the vaccine. The, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I go to him. I go, yo, it must be pretty hard walking around life with a two by four up your ass. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, what? Yeah. Just like this other girl. I was like, the meme about, I, I posted some shit about, yeah, I heard, uh, you know, for, it was about the mask. And I go, hey, you know, I heard Kotex is uh, throwing their hat in the mask game. So fellas, look in the... Feminine hygiene aisle and get your mask. And some fucking chick, you know, jumps on and she's like, that is the most disgusting, misogynistic fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and what was your I'm response? Like, Bitch, I wrote a book called Meetings for Pussies. Do you yeah. think I give a fuck? You got heat for that title, didn't you? Ooh, boy, the feminist came at me. Yeah. Ruin, yo. I, Harper Collins put that book out. Yeah. I'm still dealing with the repercussions of that, but I don't give a fuck because I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I don't give a. I, they got my fucking Lululemon campaign pulled. They they fucking ruin like everything, bro. Oh, yeah. I don't give a fuck though because you know what? The most amount of books were sold to women for their dudes because they're like, yo. I never listened to no motherfucker doing this diet. You're the first motherfucker I paid attention to. I speak their vernacular. I speak dude. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. like, you fucking mama lukes with this shit. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, it's just I try to have a sense of humor and have fun with it. And then you get people who now are offended over everything. Yeah. Every fucking thing you do, no matter what. So what do you do? You walk on eggshells the rest of your life? Fuck you. Go yeah. be offended. Yeah. Go fucking be offended all the fuck you want. I could give a fuck less. Yeah. I think comedians need to take the fucking gloves off and get back to work because these fucking people that are there stopping... Com comedy is the angry art. Yeah. You're supposed to be fucking cracking jokes. George Collin. Exactly. Come on, man. Dude, freedom of speech went 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 uh, well, south. That's the thing, the liberals and all these motherfuckers. It's like, yeah, there's uh, freedom of speech dude. as long as you agree. I thought I with was their liberal. Narrative. <laughs> yeah. That, no, these are speech Nazis. I know, dude. These so, are speech Nazis. I, I put on my story something about like this Alex Jones, like uh, gonna be the first guest on Rogan since he signed the deal to Spotify, and how that I was like, this is great news for freedom of speech. And somebody is said, he going to be the first guest? I don't know. I think it's. I That's think that. Alex Jones I, I think plays. that turned out to be bullshit. But then somebody wrote me in my DMs like, "Aren't you worried about like uh, aligning philosophies with Alex Jones and and forty five or whatever?" And I said, "Not if it's the philosophy of freedom of speech. I'm not. Like there you what? Go. What the fuck? <laughs> you know? Like yeah. Where where did it get to be like? You know." If you have a difference of opinion, you try to destroy the other fucking person's. It's crazy. Like, this is what they did to me. Yeah. And my book has helped thousands and thousands of fucking people's lives. Yeah. Media so pussies. They don't give a fuck about that. The, the the social media trolls 
went on a fucking rage against me. I'm trying to sell my new book now. And the agent is like, you got to write up a whole thing about like, you know, how to fuck. Still, that's still following you around. <laughs> Dude, I had a huge deal with HarperCollins, man. And they fucking, they, 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 they and, and I'm going to tell you something right now. The fucking, the head um, woman at HarperCollins Wave is Karen Rinaldi. Right? I'm going to say your name, Karen Rinaldi. You'll never publish another one of my books, but that's okay. I don't give a fuck. So I, I went in there, and I was like, because we put it out ourselves. We did 5,000 copies, and I was like, they wanted the book. I said, do you want me to change you know, the title? Oh, no, we want you to be disruptive. That's the only way. We want you to be who you are. The minute the feminists started writing them and saying all this shit, like they, fucking, they just fucking turned their back on it. They asked me, actually... Do you think you could write an apology letter? And and, and I said, that's why. You know what I said? I had to get street on that on them motherfuckers. I said, not just no, but hell, motherfucking no. (laughs) You told me you had my back. Now you fucking throw me under the fucking bus. I ain't apologizing for shit. (laughs) And you know what? Fuck those people. But they didn't see it like that. They didn't run an ad. The publicist stopped trying to get me fucking. Uh, press everything and they turn their motherfucking back on me and the book only way that book has sold is b- through my fucking even Joe Rogan had me on his fucking podcast yeah he's like you're the fucking vegan dude I love like right. we're friends to this day yeah like we go back and forth texting and shit yeah. I love that motherfucker yeah me too he's a fucking smart dude yeah. listen I have family members that eat meat at least he don't fucking you know He's going to do what he has to do, whatever the fuck. That's his choice. Yeah. But how are you going to hate? Like, the vegans came at me after Rogan, too. Oh, really? How dare you not? Ah, you're fucking full of shit. You're a sellout. Oh, you didn't call you, him you on his hunting him. and his meat yeah. eating. I'm like, if I would have been, if I would have went on there like a douchebag, right. all right, that wouldn't have went nowhere. You want to know something? Yeah. I had thousands. First of all, within one week, 30,000 more fucking people follow my page yeah i've had thousands of people hit me up and say dude you're the first motherfucker that broke that shit down properly and i went plant-based because of you Mm -hmm. and fucking dude like you know you get more in life with honey than you do with vinegar or the bees and the flies thing i heard you say something like that you you know that's the whole shit is like some people yeah you know the people are looking for the shit on the sidewalk you know (laughs) the flies flies. bees i did i'm writing this comedy about a about a movement and the indian guru goes there are two types of mentality in the world (laughs) you have the bee and the fly the fly He's always looking for the shit, for the stool. <laughs> you could be in the middle of the woods. No one around. The minute the first piece of poop is coming out, the flies are there. Why? Fly mentality. <laughs> I love that. Dude. I got some great fly monologues, motherfucker. That's a good one. Yeah, the fly mentality. Yeah. I'm always looking for the sweet shit. Like, fucking, how do I help somebody? What do I do? What? How can I fucking, like... You know, but yeah. let me raise money. You know, when I did Iron Man Cone, a hundred grand, uh, three races, hundred grand for this kid and his family with cancer. Like, I'm always trying to like, why you want to come at me like like a fucking fly? It's the people. Some people s- have love in their heart, and some people don't. You're I gonna think. get swatted. Don't you know that? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. 
don't make me, don't bring out the ugly side of me, mm-hmm. motherfucker, because you ain't going to like that. Incredible Hulk. That's what I tell motherfuckers. I'm like, <laughs> bro, you're living in fantasy fucking internet life. Yeah. Step out from behind your keyboards. I live on 13th Street, blah, 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 blah. You come fucking meet me. We'll discuss it. Yeah. How's that? Yeah. You know what's funny, man, is do you ever... Um, this is like a weird diversion, but do you ever get injured training for Iron yeah, Man? Yeah, I tore like a calf. A- Achilles or anything like that? I tore I've been a calf running. muscle. So I did uh, I did an Iron Man, and I used to run with these uh, fucking... I used to run with the the sneaker that has like the cog in the front. The Hoka's? No, I run in Hoka's now, but... I sometimes run in these. Yeah. But not often. I always picture like stepping in a pile of dog shit and getting in it between your toes. toes. No, I used to run in these shoes and the whole thing was land lever lift. It had this like cog on the ball on the ball of your foot. But the thing is, you got to You got to really train in these motherfuckers consistently. Otherwise, your calves tighten up. So I did an Ironman and then a month later, I I started training again, running like distance. So I was up in Central Park. And uh, I fucking, my calf tightened up and I kept pounding it. And I just felt this tight. And then I tore the calf muscle. And, and the one underneath, all the way underneath, the calf is three months, like the gastro, I forget what it's called. Anyway, I was supposed to do the Navy SEAL half Ironman in Coronada, the Super Frog. And uh, I went to LA. I stayed off the fucking calf, went to LA. And then uh, it didn't happen. But I try. I always try to turn a negative into a positive. That's why I worked with Todd Youth, and we did the blood clot demo, and got a record deal from fucking uh, from Metal Blade for those songs. But yeah, I've been. I've had my nose broke. I did. I did. Uh, I did uh, my second Iron Man. My first Iron Man was New York, 2012, and I. Uh, I, I was racing with a stress, a stress fracture in my foot. We played Philly the night before. Fucking big show, 2,000 motherfuckers. This is hardcore. Mm-hmm. My brother drove me back. I didn't even sleep. I got in the shower and then went and did the fucking swim. And That's then wild. did the race. 90, 94 degrees that day in August. And then um, Cabo, I get kicked in the fucking face. I'm in shark-infested water with my nose broke, bleeding everywhere. And just from boxing, I knew never blow your nose because it swells your eyes shut. So I had to mouth breathe the whole swim. And fucking, they were trying to pull me out of the water. I was like, get the fuck away from me or I'm going to beat your ass. I'm finishing this swim. Mm. And Cabo's like fucking sharks everywhere. And you're fucking, they're trying to get me out of the water because the other swimmers, like, they're like, you're going to attract sharks. You're going to kill everybody. (laughs) I was chumming the water. But yeah, I've uh, it's always something. It's so I've uh, Rich Roll. I we joked about it like something went wrong every motherfucking yeah. Nothing like this last Iron Man I did in Cozumel right before the pandemic in November. That was like the first time I went to a race and everything went according to plan except for the dude dying in swim. You mentioned Todd Youth. Did he get into Hare Krishna because of you? Yeah. Yep. That was after. Because Todd Youth, this is why me and Todd Youth became friends. Because Todd Youth ran away from a foster home and came onto the streets of the Lower East Side at 13 years old. And I put it out there. 
I say, anybody touches this fucking kid, anybody bullies this fucking kid, you're going to deal with me. Nobody fucked with Todd. And then Todd, later on, I got him in, you know, the whole philosophy thing. I, I was going to the temple with him, and he read the books. I just feel bad because, like, he had a problem with substance abuse, and then when his marriage was falling apart, he took shelter of fucking drugs. Mm. And it was one time. It was one, a couple times. And he did shit that had that... Um, what's that shit that's killing everybody in there? Fentanyl. It had fentanyl in it. And he fucking OD'd and fucking died, man. Rest in peace. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. Such a... Such, you want to talk talent? Jesse Mallon, ask ask Jesse about Todd. Well, that's how we we got to you yeah. too, because Jesse came on and we were talking about Todd Youth, and he was talking about you. And, we, and yeah, man, we banged out an album. I swear to God, that Blood Clot record, Up in Arms, it's fucking. That dude's a fucking genius in the studio, man. Mm. Todd Youth, and then we worked with uh, other people, Zeus and Michael Alago, actually. That Simon Metallica. Kind of got us to... We had the deal, but they were offering us nothing. Michael Alago fucking managed the band and talked to Brian Slagle and got us, like, paid 1990s money. That's nice. So, like, now I got another guitar play. I gave it a, over a year out of respect. and yeah. I, I It wasn't just that. I just had no desire to do it. In my, I was gutted. Like, my friend... And drugs will do fucked up shit to you. Like he kind of turned against us a little bit. And yeah, they take, took our material. Yeah, they that take we out a friend before they leave. And then like used it in this other band he had, Fire Burn, that he was doing like he shouldn't have been doing because he was on the contract with us. Mm -hmm. And like I didn't take it personal. And Joey Castillo, who's in. Queens of the Stone Age he was and like now he's playing in the Bronx and he plays with Zach Wilde. He's like uh, the drummer. He's a fucking yeah, machine. Yeah, yeah. Joey, yeah, yeah. He's like, Todd, just fucking call him. Just call him. And Todd, right before he died, he was getting high again. He's like, Yeah, I gotta call him, man. I wanna I wanna patch that whole shit up. That and sucks. then I got the fucking call. And I called his wife the next morning and she was hysterical and she's like, Yeah, he 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 can't he died in my in a, in, a, in my in our apartment. He came back and came in and then was like, got all sad, reminiscing, looking at all the stuff. And she was at work, and he OD'd. So it's like you know, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of death and 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 all that stuff. That's why I don't I don't take life cheaply, man. I I try to utilize every fucking waking minute, man, to be doing good shit. And everybody that hits me up that's dealing with it. I have a brother right now. He's he's probably not going to live much longer, you know. My younger brother never dealt with uh, what happened to us. Blames my mother still. Fucking uses. Just mm -hmm. had a stroke in April. His wife died last year in his arms of an overdose. He, he went into rehab. He fucking to the VA. He's a veteran. He left the VA rehab like three days later. And he's had health problems, heart attacks. When I was in Cabo doing the Ironman, he went into a coma. Mm. Like, he's fucking... I was like, you're like the bionic fucking man, dude. You, I can't even believe... The doctors can't believe he's still alive. He has Mercer. Is like, he older or younger than you? He's younger. He's my baby brother, Frank. 
And do you think the difference is that he hasn't been able to forgive? He hasn't... he hasn't accepted responsibility. When you don't accept responsibility, instead of saying, I'm a fuck up, you point the finger. He still blames my mother. Right. He calls my mother up. I'm like this because you abandoned us and I was mm-hmm. this, that, and this was done to me. And like, yeah, and I just tell him, motherfucker, you're getting the tough love. Call me from rehab or don't call me at all. Pull your fucking pants up and be a man. Stop blaming everybody else mm-hmm. for what the fuck you got going on. And that's what you have to do. And you have to accept responsibility, man. Yeah, that's the whole point. That's the whole shit. That is because, uh, but it's ignorance too, because it's not like he's wrong per se. It's, or, or if you have been victimized, you are a victim to some degree, but you can't have a victim mentality yeah. and survive. Yeah. You can't, you well, can't maintain that. That's what I talk that. about. There's a chapter in my book, The PMA Effect, which was HR taught me about positive mental attitude PMA. It came from Napoleon Hill's Napoleon teaching. Napoleon Hill, yeah. And it's like, it's like, and I have a thing, don't play the victim. Yeah. And that comes from my own experience. I did it too. Yeah. I'm guilty of it. Right. And I still catch myself out there doing it. it can but happen. at least if you're aware of a situation, you can monitor it. You rope it and back the in. ego may get in the way a little bit, but then, you know, you keep motherfuckers around you that put you in check. You don't, you don't surround yourself with, like I said, with people that kiss your ass. Like my girl, two black belts, trainer, nutritionist, no joke. She call, like she don't let me get away with shit. Mm-hmm. And thank God for that, you know? Yeah. What's your morning routine? How do you program your subconscious I don't even mind? wear, I don't even, I don't even use an alarm clock. I'm up, I yeah. wake up at fucking four o'clock. Go to my back room, my lab, I call it. Yeah. Shut my fucking door. I, I do my little chants. As soon as I wake up, my head goes to the ground. Namon Vishnu Badaya Krishna Pastaya Buddha Shimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Nitinamine Namaste Saraswati Devi. I do all my prayers. I thank Krishna for another day. How can I be of service? Thank my spiritual master. And I get to the back room and I get to work. I read some Bhagavatam. I read some quotes. I read some philosophy. And then I start writing. And I'll write three, four hours, have a little brekkie breakfast. You know, reach out to people. And then just get to the training. And then I, I, you know, depending on what, like I was putting in eight hours, days on this script. I said that if you don't come out of this shit better than when you went in, this lockdown and this yeah. shit, you didn't have you didn't have you didn't have a shortage of t- you didn't have a lack of time. You had a lack of discipline. Yeah. And without discipline, you ain't getting no fucking discipline way. is freedom. And I used that. I used all this time. Tours got canceled. This that I can't be. A, I'm a tour guide with the fucking Fear City walking tour. Can't do any of those. So I just sat and I said, all right, I'm going to get this draft of this fucking script done. And I put eight hours a day plus train plus did all my other shit. And I and I just fucking got it done yeah. today. This morning, I just did the first little, you know, like you, you break everything back. Like there's a five point scene analysis that McKee teaches you. So you have to do that for every fucking scene. So like that shit. First, you got to write it. Then you got to do all the checks and balances. And then you got to finally check. You know, I don't have, I didn't have a copy editor, so 
I'm sure there's a typo or two here and there, whatever the fuck, but, yeah. you know, they're not looking for typos. People that want to read the script are looking for a story, and I got it. What's it called? It's, it's named after my book, The Evolution of a Cro-Magnon. I love it. And it's, the, it's all about destroying those inner fucking demons before they destroy you. Yeah. And the road of darkness that that could take you down. Yeah. And that's... And the light you become in that process, man. You're a big light, dude. I'm so happy to meet yeah, you man. And, and get a chance. Well, anybody that to knows talk Jesse, to you, you know, <laughs> and his friends, and and Jesse spoke very highly of you. And Love I'm like, Jesse. listen, man, I saw Jesse play Max's Kansas City, and like, I think it was eighty or eighty-one. He was like, what, fourteen? With heart attack, was what? Yeah, heart attack. <laughs> and he played a guitar that was bigger than him. I'm like, this kid's fucking great. Mm-hmm. And uh. And then we played with, I went on tour with the Bad Brains in 81, and the roadies formed a band called Blood Clot. That's where that came from. Mm -hmm. Because every time something went wrong, they was Rastas, so they picked up a little patois. And a blood clot fixed a blood clot drums, and a bumbo clot amplifier to Ras. <laughs> Blow a fuse to Ras, fix that blood clot. So the roadies formed a band called Blood Clot. Because we was in charge of fixing the blood class situations. Mm -hmm. So we opened up for the Bad Brains every night. And our bass player back, Teddy, uh, Papa Chubby. I used to see him wow. tour in Europe. The blues, he's a blues yeah, guitarist now. Yeah, but he now. was the original That's guitar really, player for Blood He's Clock. a badass. He's a bad motherfucker. Bad Teddy, California uh, guy? But I always see guy. him tour in Europe, like Papa back Chubby, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Papa so Chubby, yeah. We, re we had another band played the guy came and played the bass jerry jw Lee, the bad brain sound man producer of the raw sessions played guitar and alvin was the drummer who was the bad brains other roadie so we opened up for them uh every fucking night and then when we came back and did the irving plaza show it was heart attack the necros blood clot and the bad brains but i think jesse went on it we opened up then jesse with heart attack and then um and then the Necros and then the Bad Brains at Irving, and that was a crazy show. And just to show you how times have changed, I was still inked up. Back then, I had tats. What, you got rid of your tats? No, I still have them. Yeah. But I'm saying, <laughs> on the tape, you hear somebody yell out, Tattoos are for jocks! <laughs> For jobs, <laughs> yes. That's crazy. There's a tape of that, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, and opinions are for air, air, are like assholes. Everybody has one. <laughs> Fucking some shit, stupid shit. I, you know, I always pop shit. So but, what? What's next? Are you doing another Iron Man? Are you training? Yeah, or what? well, what's, I'm already. I was supposed to do uh, St. George May second, which is the toughest run course in all of Iron Man, and I did Kona World Championship twice. Yeah. Just the elevation and everything like that. It's very so that got postponed to September, and then I was supposed to do Lake Placid. I tried to do two. I was on course to do three this year. I was going to do Placid. I was going to do. I was going to do St. George Placid. And Cozumel, I love because it finishes out the year, November, on a positive note. So now St. George got pushed to September. And Placid got pushed back who knows when to the end of the summer or whatever. So now I got a race coming up. As far as I know, September is, is the next race, Lake George, uh, St. George, Utah. But I, I'm, I'm training and... 
you know, I'm still writing. I'm, I got, I just finished a cookbook and I'm working on another book right now, like a guide to how to do this shit plant-based on, you know, just kill it. Like, and then, um, working on some other movies, working on another blood clot record. We got a guitar player now. We, I mean, we didn't even skip a beat. This guy's such a fucking badass. The Fear City still going on? Yeah, I'm doing the Fear City virtual right now. So Monday. It's like a city tour. Yeah, I take you around on Zoom. Based on the 70s stuff? All 70s, 80s, everything. Like, you know, yeah. It's it's killer. I've been on the Today Show, uh, the New York Times. Like, they're all like, this is the tour. That you got it. I was voted the top five. I want to. I want to take it. Yeah, I, I live where, on where Avenue. You, can you give some examples of where you? Take yeah, like people? we start at the Cube at Astor Place, and then I have, uh, I have uh, pictures of when that photo of Spacely was up there when he did the movie Gringo, and then I go into the stories about how I met him and like, and how he was the drug mule for like big rock stars at Max's and all this shit. He would go down and cop for them in Alphabet City. And then I go down the Bowery. I talk about the Bowery of old and the, and the new Bowery and the, and the five points. That's fascinating those times to me. Yeah. And then like movie locations and, you know, taxi driver. And this was, you know, this scene was filmed here. And like, this is mother's soundstage on, over here. And then great Gildersleeves, how the Bowery was fucking skid row. Like, when I went on to the streets at first in 76, started, you know, leaving the home, like, and you would come down there in the wintertime, and it was like, like Patty Smith said, garbage can fires as far as the eye could really? see. And all those flop houses and, like, you know, just seeing all that as a kid. And then, you know, the mass murderers, the jail... Uh, Joel Rifkin, who was the serial killer, he killed 17 prostitutes, one of which was Dave from Reagan Youth's girlfriend. So there was a personal connection to that. And then, like, I lived in the building with the East Village butcher, Daniel Rakowitz, when he chopped up his girl and made soup out of her and fed her to the homeless in Tompkins Square Park. It was in a burnt-out building. He lived two floors above me. And you could smell the shit. Unbelievable. Can you smell what the wacko's cooking? That's oh what we called them, Wackowitz, <laughs> instead of Rackowitz. Motherfucker was ra- Wackowitz. Wow. But like all the shit, and then the <laughs> drug gangs, and this is who ran these drug spots. And like, I tell this one story on Rivington and Elridge. I tried to squat a building when I left the Navy in 1980. And the fucking Allen boys had an apartment look out across the street. They waited for me and my boy, James Concha, the singer from Virus. We cleaned out the whole apartment. Like, there was dirt and refrigerators, and, like, it was a, it was no electricity. We were going to take this place over for the winter and barricade it and make it our spot. I took the last bag of fucking garbage to the curb. I fucking turned around to go back in. Shotgun pistol put to the side of my face they're like thanks for cleaning up for the allen boys motherfucker now you and your boy get the fuck out they sat across there watching us letting us do all the work like these fucking idiots (laughs) and then they took it over and sealed it off from the inside it's called a blue door and then they knocked out the peephole Mm -hmm. and they passed it the people put the money in the drugs came out and then they barricade the door so like yeah just crazy 
when did that all stop in the Lower East Side? Well, they did, op- and I cover that too, Operation Pressure Point, because the developers wanted to come into the neighborhood. I saw all this shit go down. I mean, I've been coming down there since, you know, the 70s, yeah. seeing all that shit. But they wanted to develop the neighborhood, but they had to get the drugs out. So the mayor enacted fucking Operation Pressure Point, which was to close down all the drug spots. And they started gentrification, went after the music, the clubs, everything, but it's, and the drugs too. But yeah, that was like, I talk York about City the gentrification of, of how the neighborhood started changing, which led up to the Tompkins Square Park riot that, that uh, Clayton Patterson covered in, in Captured. Just that whole history, you know, like of how they were just kicking poor people out of their buildings and using using gangs to come in and terrorize people. They tried to fucking come in our squad against us, except we wasn't going out like that. They wasn't taking our shit because we was fucking street. You got shit, we got shit. Let's do it. So then what did he do? He padlocked. Like, he went, had guys come in and padlocked the two top floors from the hallway. Because everybody had, when you live in a squat, you put these eye holes and then you padlock your space when you leave. So while they were sleeping, they padlocked the two top floors and threw fucking firebombs through the windows and burnt out the roof. Killed like three or four people in our building. And that's how they got us out. Because it was unfit to be inhabited and we were trying to like get on the tilt program and fix up the building and put you know we did a benefit to put in start the plumbing and electricity at dance interior all these bands played so like yeah you know you just see how the neighborhood ain't nothing like what it is now well where's it gonna go that's the question uh, who the fuck knows i like this pandemic because all the fucking jabronis fucking left <laughs> all the scaredy cats it oh is, my god it is a trip i, I love I, it when they talk about like the blackout like the one that happened yeah. i'm like motherfucker you was out there with battery operating fucking cappuccino machines right. on the sidewalk get the fuck <laughs> you want the r- <laughs> no she's she has fun. <laughs> I said I was on the streets okay? for the real blackout of '77. Yeah. All right. You want to talk about insanity? That's the real yeah, blackout. riots, right? No. Riot, dude. Riots. You like I sold dust at Forest Park and drugs, right? So we went into the deli on Woodhaven Boulevard, and I'm buying roller papers and beers, and the dude that ran the deli hated us. Big fat fucking Italian dude. <laughs> So the fucking lights go out. He pulls out a fucking shotgun immediately. Get the fuck out. We go back out onto Woodhaven Boulevard. All the lights are out. People are like, it's a fucking blackout. Our first thought, let's, the whole city's blacked out. Let's get into Manhattan to the jewelry stores. That's where the money is. So we fucking get in my man's car and drive down. Police blocked off the bridge at that point. And then from the Queensbridge projects, you start hearing gunshots going off. I'm like, no place for a white boy. (laughs) And then, like, we went back and just fucking rode it out. And it was crazy. That was the night they reopened the tombs down in in, in downtown because uh, they had so many arrests, there was no place to put them. The tombs down at... uh, 
you know, by Police Plaza over there, by that that fucking place was infested. It's an underground jail. It was infested mm. with rats. They was putting people in there because they had no place to put people. So many people got arrested for looting and like, I was seeing tow trucks with chains pulling gates off of stores, breaking the windows and motherfuckers running out with TVs and fucking couches from Hoffman Coos and like just crazy shit, dude. That blackout, it was fucking nuts. Because that summer, and this is, I'm basing my movie on that that year, 77. Mm -hmm. And the thing was, it was a powder keg ready to explode already because the cops were fucked up. The city was broke. Punk rock. You have fucking... Like what I said in the book. It was punk rock battling disco, you know, Saturday Night Fever and never mind the Bullocks and the, mm-hmm. just all the shit that was building up to it and the tension in the city. Like there was a garbage strike. It was like poverty. The city, it, it, and it just exploded when that fucking blackout hit boom it was a reason for everybody it was mob rules you know that's you know that expression mob rules man when one motherfucker starts doing shit another motherfucker next thing you know it's just it just spins out of i feel like we're heading towards an explosion like that now it's gonna be more like a fucking fart (laughs) because nobody's fucking fighting yeah people it's more like you shart in your pants (laughs) <laughs> you know, you think it's going to be a big explosion, but it just turns into a pile of wet doo-doo in your pants. You don't think people will start fighting eventually? Oh, I think if they mandate all this shit that they're planning to fucking do, motherfuckers yeah. ain't standing for that shit. Yeah, mandatory vaccines. Get the fuck out. Yeah, 99.99999% of the people healed without a vaccine, but you yeah. want to mandatory vaccinate everybody? Yeah. As my there was a there was a bar called the Park Inn back in the day. If anybody from the old school remembers it, there was a guy at the door. He was an old black man with dreads. His name was Ike the Dyke. Ike, why you call yourself a dyke? Cause I love to eat me some pussy. I'm a black man that eats pussy. And then his famous expression when he wanted to tell you off: "Suck a wet mop dry." So that's what I got to say to them motherfuckers: "Suck a wet mop dry." <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> hey, we came full circle on our conspiracies. What exactly. a podcast! I know this is epic, man. Like what you said about Kennedy when they told them, "Don't do this; they're gonna get you." Like maybe so that was one person who saw what needed to be done to fix the system. So since then, has there not like when is somebody gonna rise up and and again say everything is fucked up? We have to change. Like why does it not happen? Well, like everyone sees what's going on. Well, you know what it is? The ones who like, like, like he said, the ones who see it and talk about it, get labeled as conspiracy theorists. And that's a way to try to belittle the information that's that's being now, you know, there's doctors and scientists that are calling bullshit on this whole thing that's going down with the numbers of the deaths. Uh, and, and just and just every other aspect. So the thing is, I'm not necessarily going co- full on conspiracy. No. Even just what the government does out in the well, open, they're not do, conspiracy. They're doing shit. Look what you know. People speak out against it. You know what happened in Iraq and and just all the other shit. Even Panama 
if, if, if that was another that was another false fucking war. It was if you watch the Panama Deception, the documentary, none of that shit happened. We went in there because we wanted the canal back in Noriega, who was funneling drug money. Panama, if you saw the Panama Deception documentary, Panama is where all the narcos funneled their drugs put them. put their money in in the banks including the CIA so Noriega started taking the money and saying we're not giving you back the canal and all this shit that's why we went in for the Panama invasion to this other shit that happened it was to take the canal back and they put Noriega in jail you never heard nothing from him he was he was he was laundering the CIA's money that we were keeping the 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 whole drug shit that they were doing within the 80s to fund the war, the secret war, CIA war of the Contras and everything else. That was through cocaine money that Bill that fucking Bill Clinton was involved with in Arkansas. And while Ronald Reagan saying just say no, his vice president was bringing fucking thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of cocaine into the United States, yeah. which which sparked the crack epidemic. And then look what happened. Rick Ross. Everybody, yeah, but look what the fuck happened. They passed draconian drug laws yeah, and then invested drugs. in the prison system. All of them. So people that say, oh, Bill Clinton's a great fucking guy. And Hillary, ah. They're fucking, they're the worst people on the fucking planet. And... I mean, and the the thing is, is like they control the media and they get the big voices that get heard. Everybody else gets drowned out. And, you know, what did Frank Zappa say about the, uh, the, the TV? I'm gross and perverted. I'm obsessed and deranged. The slime. The, the, read the lyrics to that shit. Frank Zappa was calling it. It's like they're controlling you. They're a, it's a tool of the government and industry, too. Look at the lyrics to that fucking song. What do you think of Trump? I mean, you know, Trump's out for himself, man. Trump's a fucking, you know, he was a shitty businessman and burned people. I mean, everybody, this whole Q shit that they're like, he's the savior. Uh, you know, he's bringing down all the pedophiles and all the, I mean, you know. Look, here's the thing about him. So Moderna's, the guy running Moderna who gave who got $20 million from Bill Gates, just resigned, and now he is the senior advisor to Operation Warp Speed to get the vaccine out within six months. So how the fuck does that happen, Donald Trump? You know, so everybody's complicit. You don't get to be the president of the United States and it's like ring wrestling. It's like the WWF. They make it seem like there's the good guys and the bad guys, and they polarize the country. Yeah. The country's never been it's a distraction. more motherfucking polarized. Yeah. And my girl said something amazing the other night. She goes, with this whole thing going down, we could just imagine what the fuck they're doing everywhere else, all the other shit they got their hands in. What I just read this whole article like, all these billionaires made $438 billion more dollars during that's, the pandemic. That's what I heard, too. Come on, man. This guy, he's fucking giving his homeboys, 
you know, what's the but solution? But he was doing that from the get-go. Just of course in his he defense, was. In his defense. Of course he was. Of course he was. <laughs> Given accounts uh, and positions to whoever and was his donating. Fucking, his, his environmental policies, he's a fucking piece of shit. Look what he's doing. He, he, he let them put toxins back in the water. He's reversed all of this stuff that was in place, uh, you know, to protect to protect the environment and... You know, I just the, the politics ain't gonna solve shit. Yeah. There's a chapter in a book that I love from Prabhupada called "The Science of Self-Realization." There's a chapter in there called "Spiritual Solutions to Material Problems." Mm-hmm. The quote of the day today was that there's always gonna be cat when you have cat and dogs. There's always gonna be fighting, and that's what these people are. They're polished animals that are doing this shit. Mm-hmm. They have no regard for us. They may make you think they have our best interests in mind. None of them do. None of them do. And, uh, you know, it's a two-party system. It always has been. And they're both fucked up, equally as fucked up, Mm -hmm. because Obama did mad shit, and they gave him a pass on every fucking thing that he was doing, corrupt as fuck, and he got away with all of that shit. And he's still the good, the real president. They're posting fucking memes. Mm. Yeah, okay. How about all the illegal drone strikes killing all these fucking people and all the fucking business shady shit he was doing, which I could go on another podcast for an hour (laughs) and talk about, but I won't. Mm. They're all corrupt. Nobody gets in that fucking office that ain't corrupt and ain't playing by who's running the shit, which is the motherfucking Federal Reserve and these rich and these families that are really running shit. And if you do try to speak out against them and you get a conscience after you got elected, you end up like JFK. Because mm-hmm. that's the last motherfucker that had a conscience and they took his ass to fuck out. Mm. So who do you vote for then? I don't. You I don't give a fuck. That it. shit's not that shit's not gonna affect me. Right. Because look what they do anyway. What is the value of voting when the electoral college, who the fuck's running that, decides who the fucking president is? The the witch Clinton won the popular vote, but Trump got in because of the electoral college. So it's a farce, man. Yeah. It's a fucking farce. You know what? I work on myself. I change myself. I try yeah. to change my environment and the people around me. There's power in unity. Of uh, 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 there's power in collective thought, a collective consciousness. Yeah, and that's that's my work for this lifetime. That's what I try to do. You know, speaking up, not being silent. Fuck yeah, man! Be silent for what? What a, they say in a the lot 80s, of people are silence though. equals death. Silence Who? equals consent. Who's gonna play you in the movie? I have no idea, man. I'm just, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not an actor. I mean. Listen, I'm gonna tell you one. I want I want to take a role in this shit, and it's it's probably like this one junkie. Uh, I got a role for you, the undercover police. <laughs> oh, shit. That's full circle. I'd be able to pull that. I could, yo, you're right. I That's could, actually I could, pretty good. I could be the cop. <laughs> I could be the cop in Norfolk that busted all me. three of them oh in different God, roles. <laughs> yeah, do like a, yeah, do oh, like a shit. Eddie Murphy type That's of thing. That's great. Right? No. <laughs> all three. Of, Dude's a genius. Dude, <laughs> fuck yeah. It'll be funny. It'll Dude. be like a good uh, But a yeah, good you know, look. You a know, good nod, l- a good like, nod. 
you gotta get into some deep shit because like you know you have to be able to go to some dark places and yeah. and the thing is is like you know like mckee says it can't only be tightening the screws tightening the screws tightening the screws because then you don't allow the audience to catch its breath and invest in the climax of the film. That's what comedy does. It allows the tension to back off. Right. So it's like sex. You build it, you back it off. You build it, you back it off. You build it more, you back it off. You build it even more, you back it off until the climax of the film. It's like sex. Well, you got a great director. I mean, that's Well, just... I'm not saying I, she just won. I'm not, you know, that would be my, like, dream, but... She's busy with all her other shit. That's amazing, dude. I just, just the fact, she's giving me coverage notes. And I, t I sent her this, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. I sent this to her today because every time she's told me something, I've written it down. So we just talked, me and Patty just talked on Zoom a little while ago with all our friends. And we were talking about the film and Patty said, you have to make characters goofy, funny, unsure, and most importantly, make the right choice when the most powerful moment comes. It can't just be one thing that is, if it's just one thing, the character's not relatable or exciting. Well-rounded characters is mm -hmm. what she's talking about. Right. And that's what you have to be able to do, you know? So Multi-dimensional. And I've, you know, Ditto Montiel, who did Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, like he's giving me coverage on my, I've like I can't even tell you how blessed I am to have people like this destroy my work, and say, "Look, you got something here," but, and that's what I appreciated because I kept doing the work and doing the work, and some of the scripts that they've read, oh my God, I'm like, but I needed that to get to to where I'm at now. Mm. So between McKee and then I've also read Blake Snyder, Save the Cat, which is kind of the litmus test like, okay, does your, does this happen on this page? And this is the industry standard. He's sold scripts. He's been in the business for decades. So like I try to follow what he says in the book, you know, what's the image? What what's book is that? It's called Save the Cat. Save the Cat, Not right. Save the Cat goes to the movies. Save, yeah. the cat Save the Cat by Blake Snyder. So he has this thing called the Blake Snyder beat sheet. Mm -hmm. And it's like, here's what needs to happen. This is So the opening image speaks volumes of a film. The opening image sets the tone of the film. What's my opening image? It's fucking crazy. It's craziness. Look at fucking the what opening image of Pulp Fiction. The diner, the tension, like oh, yeah, that's great how it builds. Scene. All right, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Tarantino's a fucking genius. I agree. I wish he would go back to making the films that he used to make. I thought that movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I, 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 wanted to, I walked the fuck out of there. Oh, really? I walked out of the movie theater. I liked it. Me and it. my girl. Didn't bug me. Dude, 90 minutes, there was nothing happening. If you don't capture my motherfucking attention, so I'll tell you a story. I wrote two pilots. So my agent is for literary used to be Dan Ker Dan Kershen, ICM. So he represented me. So he goes, look, man, you know, I'm uh, I'm moving into the, I want to move into the TV film sector. Do you have anything I want to show these guys in California? I said, yeah. 
I got a fucking I got a fucking pilot about the cop that took down the angel dust trade in the 70s. He's like, really? Sends it out to L.A. ICM. Guess who fucking emails me back and says they want to have a meeting with me? Quentin Tarantino. Howie fucking Tannenbaum, Vince Gilligan's agent uh, who wrote Breaking nice. Bad. Right. He says, when are you going to be in L.A.? I, I want to meet you. And then he had his assistant kind of like hook it up. So I go in there. And the assistants, I'm in the office with ICM. This is the guy who, you know, works with the biggest fucking... Vince Gilligan, I mean, Breaking Bad, there'll never be another fucking show like that. Yeah, it's a good one. And I'm sitting in there waiting for Howie to come in. Uh, 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 let me see what his assistant's name is. Hold on, I'll tell you in a sec. Because I like, I like to... Not to drop names. Nobody knows who he is anyway. Yeah, you like to get the names right. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Michael Charney is his assistant. So he's sitting in a room with me, and he's like, I just want you to know, like, this is not... This is a huge fucking deal that Howie Tannenbaum flipped the fuck out on your writing. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't do this like this. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, man. Howie comes in. He's like, shakes my hand. He sits down. He goes, you know how many scripts come across my desk in a week? I can't even get through fucking two pages of them. And I'm like, reject pile. He's like, this fucking script held me from page one to the fucking end. He's like, dude, you bring the rawness, like, the, you know, he just fucking sat there, like, inspiring me, and he's like, you know, he said, uh, it's going to be a hard sell because it's period and you're a first-time writer. Howie, I mean, um, Vince worked on the X-Files and all other shows as a writer before he tried to pitch Breaking Bad and everybody turned it down. Before AMC gave him the shot. You know how I many people turned that fucking show down? Everybody. Everybody said this will never get made. It takes one person the to best believe movies in you. Are always, are it takes one person them. to believe in you, man, and give you a fucking shot. But, like, you know, that's, that's you know, versimilitude, you know that word? It means like life. Verisimilitude. So I try to do that with my writing is make that shit real life. Like, Howie's like, Dude, you can't make this shit up. I'm like, nah, man. And at first, the funny thing was some writers told me, yeah, this is a great story. It was about me selling the dust, but she's like, I won't say her name, but she was like, I think this needs the law enforcement aspect. It's lacking. Then when I researched into that detective that took down the angel dust trade, I'm like, this is his fucking story. This ain't my story. Mm. This is his story. He became the protagonist. Right. That's what got it noticed. So what's going on with it now? I got it. It's period. You yeah. know, it's it's a tough sell, but I'll make it. <laughs> I got other shit going on too. <laughs> I got other yeah. other scripts. I wrote this other one called Save the Robots, which was about fucking just kind of took the name of the After Hours Club, but it was about 
a drug gang in Alphabet City. So, like, I, I just keep, I'm writing a thing about a cult. Like, I just keep writing. You I, write every day. Every motherfucking for day. How, for how long? Hours. And then how many years have you been writing every day? I started writing my first script in eighty, right, right in ninety when I came off the crack. So you've been doing it a long time. Thirty fucking years. Did you do like morning pages or any of that kind of stuff, like the Artist Way type? Yeah, of stuff? I, I, uh, I read, that? I read stuff, I read stuff. But that morning pages is like three pages of just sort of gibberish, just to get your flow going. Yeah. You ever do that? Um. Not really. I'm already like deep in it because I use a system of like. Like McKee says, you, you do a step outline. You create, you have to create a pile of 200 scenes to make the 40 to 60 scenes that go into the movie. Yeah. So I'm throwing out theme. I come up controlling ideas at the last act climax, the decision that the protagonist makes. So what is story? Story is a, a character takes an action expecting a result from the from the universe a gap cracks open the universe never cooperates never never <laughs> fucking never <laughs> a gap cracks open between expectation and result that's where the power of story lies yeah. so then he must take a second action and that action puts him at risk and it keeps going until the object of desire what that character wants at the end of the fucking film so like, There's rules. you know, I do a step outline for every fucking film. I got all the index cards and even those get destroyed. Like this script is nothing what it would like. I can't even tell you like. And I'm, you know, I pretty much got it dialed in now. What the fuck? And out of my book is going to be two, three, four films. I got a punk rock comedy. I got a comedy. I got another uh, script about um, the first year I spent on the streets in 77, and it takes place over that summer, the summer of punk, all that shit. Then I'm writing a fucking drama about a cult based on what I went through in, in the Hare Krishna stuff. Like, you know. But do you so think about how many lives you've lived and marvel I can't at that? Even, like, I don't even it's, think, I don't stop to like start being like, oh, I did this. Like half the shit I don't even like think like, that would be narcissistic to sit there and be like, I did all that. You know, I, it, you know Not what, even from a narcissistic you know place, is? just from a place of observation as the witness. When you like, just even like the way I'm looking at your life, you could look at your life that way too and be yeah, like, but you know damn, what it this is? is like crazy. Like, it's I wild. was told something. Never rely on your past laurels. Always keep moving ahead and mm -hmm. looking to the next. I'm looking over at the fucking horizon at the next fucking thing. Yeah. What do I got to do next? Yeah. What's the next race? What's the next book? What's the next? Yeah. It's always next, next, I'm next. I'm like that too. You I, have to I be. don't post old photos really or any of that shit. I just keep, I'm always like, let's write a new song. That's it. You know? That That's is. it. That's how I do it. It's good shit, man. You got to keep fucking... A Rolling Stone gathers no moss, man. Just yeah. keep fucking boom. Keep pushing the envelope. Keep testing yourself. Yeah. Keep fucking destroying your work. 
Yeah. You know, keep... Keep ruining your reputation. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, that's one thing I had... Yo, I'm going to tell you, when I came off crack, I had motherfuckers 20 years later. Don't trust that motherfucker. He's a crackhead. Like, 20 right. years later, I'm like, dude, cut me some fucking slack. Like, I don't even smoke weed anymore. Right. That was like a long time you're, ago. You're full on sober, huh? Yeah, 100%. Clean and sober. Yeah. No drugs. No fucking coffee, tea. None of that shit. No coffee. Wow. I just... You know, I have bad memories of coffee. It, 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 I, I love the smell of it. Yeah. But when I was fucking up partying and doing drugs and then had to muster at 5 o'clock in the Navy and drinking all that coffee and there's so much acid in my fucking stomach mm -hmm. and, like, it, I have a bad, bad uh, reaction to that caffeine and, like, the acidity of coffee, you know? Um, so do you do pranayana breathing to yeah, wake I, up? Yeah, I, I do. Well, yeah, I do some. I sit in my chair in the back room and I look at pictures of Krishna and Vishnu. And, you know, I used to do all that pranayama, Navasudi. Actually, I was getting ready to go back to yoga. My girl got me like a one month thing to integral yoga. And then this fucking pandemic hit. And yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not able to do it. And we don't really have, we have a living room, but it's not gigantic. And right. the gym is closed. So. You know, how how I, much do you run a day? Uh, right now, I'm like doing 10Ks every couple of days and staying at heart rate. Uh, you know, I use heart rate monitor. Yeah. Like I have a Garmin and then I have a power meter on my bike that tells me how many watts I'm putting out. What's your heart rate? What do you what do you put your my heart resting rate in? heart rate? I don't really check check that. Not like for running. I mean. Oh like, man, I get up fucking one sixty, one eighty five. One eighty five. Yeah, one. I've been up to like one ninety sprinting over the bridges. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday I ran. Uh, no, yesterday I biked. The day before I ran the bridges, Manhattan Bridge into into uh, Brooklyn and then back over to Brooklyn Bridge. It was a ten k. Yesterday I biked. Fucking 40 miles crushing wattage on the bike. Yeah. Putting out watts. I always ride up to the George Washington Bridge. That's a good one. That red lighthouse up there. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. I love that red lighthouse. Me and my girl chill up there, but I go over that bridge. I go up on 9W. <laughs> I go to Bear going. Mountain. Yeah. Fucking Nyack. Yeah. You know, I just, I enjoy, uh, we just went hiking. Me and my girl hiked the fucking trail to the top at, at bear mountain mm -hmm. it was like one hour and they put slates in there and it's one hour straight the fuck up dude you're just it's like being on a stairmaster for an hour where'd you meet your girl um funny enough like she had commented on something on facebook and i kind of was like whatever. <laughs> Y'all are cute. I saw you. I saw her on She's Instagram. Dog, yeah, like I was looking at your Instagram today. Yeah, and, yeah. and then uh, <laughs> so I did this. So I used to do this thing called uh, Nike uh, Urban Running or whatever. Nike sponsored it. So then they 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 said you want to do one in L.A. I got you know. So I was like yeah. So I did one, and it's typical L.A. Everybody fucking flaked. Everybody mm -hmm. talks a whole bunch of shit, and then they fucking flake. So, like, the only people that showed up out of, like, the 20 motherfuckers, New York, I was getting 60, 70 people. L.A., you know, it's a lot of competition out there. So, like, I had 20 people signed up. Only two showed up. Mm -hmm. Erica and then this vegan ultra runner. 
So then at the end, I was like, yo, I'm going to go uh, to get some food at uh, Real Food Daily mm-hmm. in Santa, was it Santa Monica? Santa Monica. Yeah. Yeah, I love that place. And then uh, he's like, well, I got somewhere to be. And uh-huh. then Erica yeah. was there, and I was like, all right. <laughs> You're like, thank you, dude. So, like, <laughs> I was like, I'll give you that 20 later, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, but, uh, so we went, and uh, even to this day, I was like, yeah, that was a date. She's like, that wasn't no date. That wasn't our first date. I said, yeah, yeah it was. It was. <laughs> the minute that motherfucker said, I got somewhere to be, I'm it like, that date. shit became a date. <laughs> and I loved it, because, like, she's an athlete. She has two black belts. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, she's like, dude, I'll show you pictures of her throwing a fucking, standing there throwing a kick like mm-hmm. six feet in the fucking air, yeah. holding her leg up. Yeah. And uh, so we're eating, and I'm looking at her fucking plate, right? Because I'm a gavon. Like, I got starved <laughs> as a kid. I'm going to eat everything in fucking sight. Yeah. And all the other girls I would date, they'd be like, here, you want this? She was like, she looks at me and goes, you're not getting any of this. And she ate every motherfucking morsel on the plate. Yeah. I was like, motherfucker. We got outside. I moved in for the kiss. She's like, yo. Like, I was like, I, you know, well, I kissed her on the cheek. Yeah. And I go, you're going to be my fucking girl. And she goes, really? And I said, yeah, I'm telling you that now. Right seven, away, you said seven that. Seven years later, dude, Damn. that's amazing. Seven years later, Mazel Tov. So, yeah, so she was in LA. So then it was a long distance yeah, thing for a while. Yeah, it was long distance. She How would come long? to New York for like a year, and then she moved back to her mom's to be closer uh-huh. in Massachusetts, and she stayed there and worked at Trader Joe's, and and then she was there for like another fucking six months, and she's like. She calls me up one day and goes, I'm either packing my fucking car and coming to live with you or I'm going back to L.A. I said, get in your car and come down to New York. Let's do it. And she's been living with me ever since. We saved the pit bull last year. We got like a fucking 100-pound Rottweiler pit bull. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. you know, it's cool. There's no, there's no stress. That's nice, man. She does online boot camps. She's a nutritionist. She's helping people all the time. You know, like she's just a, a great soul. Yeah. You know, like Too good and do- easy good to get doers. along with. And like, I mean, everybody has their moments, but like, yeah, the minute if we raise our voice, the dog comes running in. And you got to see this motherfucker, dude. I've seen him on your Instagram. Let me tell you something. Cute that motherfucker's dog. head is like <laughs> yeah. that. And he, ch- he detects the energy in the room changing. That motherfucker runs in and gets right in between us. Like, yo, why are you talking to her like that? Yo, don't be talking to him like that. Mm-hmm. That's your kid. Dogs know, yeah. 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 He's a motherfucker, dude. Yeah. Like, nobody comes near that fucking house. Yeah. That's cool. We man. had a guy in the hallway, and all the buildings, people was fucking robbing the buildings and doing pushing robberies. Three o'clock in the fucking morning, dog gets up, goes to the door. I'm like, what the fuck? I look out the peephole, there's a shady motherfucker in the hallway. I go, yo, my man. I didn't even open the door. I said, I got a 100-pound pit bull on the side of this fucking door (laughs) and a goddamn baseball bat. I'm about to open this door and unleash hell on you, right? He goes, he goes, yo, yo, yo. He goes, "Uh, yo, man, I'm sorry. I I I got the wrong building. Like, acting like. 
was like, yeah, you did, motherfucker. Now get the fuck out of here. Don't come back because I ain't playing. And that was it. But that dog, you know, the minute I raised, like yesterday, this, this cab driver turned the corner, a Uber, Uber guy, and fucking nails a woman in the fucking crosswalk. I think he broke a fucking leg. She's in the street. The guy gets out. I'm like... You know, you motherfuckers almost hit me and my dog yesterday. When you fucking turn the corner, motherfucker, you're supposed to fucking yield, not come flying. And the minute I raised my voice, the dog fucking went at him, up on his fucking hind legs, like a fucking trying to get him. He was like, oh, shit, what the hell? (laughs) What's your dog's name? Storm. A.K.A. Notorious Boo Boo Bear. <laughs> Boo Boo Bear Storm. Nice. Hey, it's been real, man. Dude, thank yeah. you so Yo, much. Yo, we weathered the storm. The rain's gone. Here I we know. are. Look at now this we're shit. ready. Oh, it's coming back. Is that, it? That was uh, that was so fun, man. Yeah, like, it was thank epic, you. man. Thank Great you for shit. doing that. Yeah, Jesse was like, "Yo, he's had a lot of cool people on. He's a cool dude. You guys will have a good talk." It's Did cool. you enjoy it? Huh? Did you enjoy it? I loved it. it. Yeah. I love shooting the shit with real motherfuckers. Yeah, man. Even Ron Jeremy over here. I know. He's not bad. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yo, thank you, man. It's a pleasure, man. Much love. All right. Much love. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste to fuck away from negative people. (laughs) (laughs) Word. Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.